commodities. Late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre or normal or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm David, 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 I'm unique, I'm special, I'm David, I'm David, I'm David, I'm David. And I know which direction Rob is going in when he starts discussing this film. I'm David, I'm David. Oh God, oh God. Oh my, oh God, yeah, oh God indeed. This, this, this 2004 year has has taken a turn into AI artificial intelligence story or it's, it's time or I guess I guess it's a A1 it's the steak sauce story directed by oh, uh Stanley Spielberg <laughs> God Rob's just getting all getting like all the weird sort of like jokes about this film out of the way all at once Rob's just like basically like, he's making it rain on you right now audience he's just taking all this like low-hanging fruit when it comes to mocking this film and just like like making it rain right now oh i just checked my notes it, sorry it's directed by stephen kubrick <laughs> god damn it i have to say there there is an imdb trivia fact that says many people originally thought this film was titled a1 so they lengthened it to ai artificial intelligence to prevent people from thinking it was a movie about steak sauce and i was like imdb trivia i hate you but every once in a while i love you too <laughs> <laughs> if if there was a movie about the the steak sauce like a1 the steak sauce story i would be all over that <laughs> i don't know if there's an interesting story behind a1 i've never looked at the history of a condiment but but i i would see that i think <laughs> It's gonna be the like the follow up to like the Ray Kroc like McDonald's movie. Mm, definitely. And what's what's the um the movie about Kellogg, the guy who invented uh Frosted Flakes and also hated masturbation? The Road to Wellville with Anthony Hopkins. That's what that one's called. <laughs> Is that a real thing? That the guy who invented Kellogg's hates masturbation or hated because no, 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 he's I, dead? No, 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 no. I, I... <laughs> no, I know that's a real thing, uh, spectacularly enough. Um, but the fact that Anthony Hopkins is in the yeah, movie about yeah, he, that? he was uh, Doctor Kellogg. It's called. I'm pretty sure it's called The Road to Wellville, and it's. But it's more. I don't oh. think it's about the Kellogg cereal. I think it's about the the weird clinic he set up to like shock electroshock people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, okay, yeah, I knew that was a thing, but like I didn't know it was a movie. Like they made like a film about it. Okay. Fair enough. Tune in next week when we talk about The Road to Wellville from not 2001. Uh, okay, so how do we end this episode, Zach? <laughs> I think we should play AI the entire film in reverse <laughs> oh, for 2,000 years. We want a 2,000-year runtime backwards. Uh, you, know what, you know what one of my problems with this movie is? That it is 7,000 hours long. <laughs> oh, God, this Rob. movie is feels its length, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> okay, Context time. Like, I, I just want to delve right into the context. Rob, do you have any context for this? Uh, well, I I definitely had seen this movie once before, long, long ago, when it came to HBO. I remember that, and I remembered bits and pieces of this movie. Um, it, so what, it must have been, if this came out middle of 2001, when it came to HBO, it must have been like late 2001 or early 2002. And I remember seeing it. I don't remember kind of how I felt, but I remembered kind of the beginning I remembered 
the the flesh fair stuff. I remembered the ending specifically, but I didn't really have any long term notion of like what I thought about this movie. If anything, my thought on this movie turned into, "Oh my god, why do people try and make robots emotional?" <laughs> Um, so I hadn't seen in years. My, my only other context that I wanted to mention is actually a, a while ago, probably about a year ago, we did get an email uh, to Cinemodities for just like listing off a, a bunch of recommendations that someone had. This came from our listener, uh, Space Science, and he pitched a series uh, called the, the Bee Boop Trash Can Series, which <laughs> if we ever did, we would call the Beep Boop Trash Can Series because I always think of it as Beep Boop, but he put Bee Boop. That that's neither here nor there. But he called it the Bee Boop Trash Can series, and it would be Rob would get to rant relentlessly about his hate of robots with feelings while Zach got a good chuckle in the background. And AI was in that list of movies. So someone has wanted us to talk about this movie, and uh we're finally getting to it because it finally fit into the two thousand one Fort year. Uh so I haven't seen this movie in easily 20 years 19 to 20 years and i rewatched it for this recording that's that's all i got did you see this in theaters i know you're going to get into your context but i somewhere in your context okay. you have to let me know this, if you saw this in theaters oh well, this okay this this is the thing though is it like is we all have got like as you know this this at this point in the 2001 box office not box office like summer movie season like I was aware of movies. Like yeah. I was firmly aware of everything coming out this year, like that summer. And I remember like seeing the previews for it. And like at this point, like I had like I knew all about like science fiction movies. Like I was re- well versed in Terminator. Um, like I just I liked science fiction. So like I saw the previews for this, and I'm pretty sure they advertised this because like like this got like a full like court press like marketing blitz, and. From my own memory, and who knows, it's been 20 years, maybe I'm misremembering this, all the marketing did was pretty much focus on the first third of the movie with some sprinklings of the flesh fair in Rue City. Okay, okay. Like sprinklings, like them like driving into like the uh, – the. what the the roadway the highway of the woman's mouth open and then like some some like like when they're chasing down like the def- like what the melted down robots through the woods yeah that was pretty much it. like i can see the woman with like the the nanny robot like when she like she runs toward the camera then she turns her head and you see it's just kind of like just like a facade face yep like i'll always remember that it's like my main memory of this movie like like growing up um i wanted to see this for some reason my mother was very, very apprehensive about me seeing it. For okay. some reason, there was this – for whether she was reading, um, I, I can vividly remember her saying, I don't want you seeing this because based on what I'm reading, something happens after she drops him off in the woods that, I, that feels inappropriate for you. Okay. And I always thought as a kid, like, oh, like, like, does he get molested or something? <laughs> like, I, I didn't know what that meant because, like, clearly my mother didn't even know what it meant. Like, sure. she never saw the movie. And so I kind of forgot about the movie because, like, by that point, like, just other things were coming out. Um, I, I just, like, it just didn't matter anymore to me. And I really never, after that summer, did not think about this movie. Like, I had never rented it. I never bought it. And then it wasn't until like 2013 when I was like on my like Stanley Kubrick kick in college and I was doing like a bunch of research on him. And I came across the documentary that was made in 2002 called A Life in Pictures. 
And it's like a two and a half doc, uh, two and a half hour long documentary. It's narrated by Tom Cruise. It's it's interesting if you if you like kind of, it's kind of like a oh God how do you put this it's like a biography of Stanley Kubrick movie by movie okay and it's interesting like like I would imagine if Rob watched it he'd be like oh this is neat but like once you've like watched it like once maybe twice you've kind of gleaned all the information you're going to get from it um, there's really nothing really like profound in it especially like 19 years later or at the time like 11. But one thing I never knew, like in this documentary, they spent maybe two minutes on it, if that. They're like, oh, Stanley Kubrick like was pretty much the the mastermind behind like artificial intelligence. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I'm like, really? And I'm just like, what is going on? And so pretty much I, I know I bought this movie when I was in college at, at the FYE in Albany. Um, insert the Vanilla Sky episode joke here about getting a CD mix there. <laughs> yep. Um, my, I went back to the Albany Mall and I went back to the FYE. And they had nothing there about like like ripping and like burning CDs. So uh, false advertising FYE. Oh, um, damn. <laughs> I, I, I know. So you know what that means, Rob? When it comes to Cinemati's restaurant, we got another angle. <laughs> per- <laughs> we got another angle. All those um, people dying to burn CDs. <laughs> damn straight, Rob. Damn straight. Um, so no. So like I don't I, – I'm not sure if I got it. I think I got it like in the – I'm pretty sure like the fall of 2013 or maybe even spring of 2014. And that was my first time watching it. And like, this is where we'll get into like our thoughts on the movie, but like I watched it and I'm just kind of like, like really? I'm like, this is like, like the first third is really like disjointed. Like nobody in this movie is likable. Like it it, it becomes a very, and I know exactly what my mother meant, but like the, the second and third act or like pretty much every act in the movie feels like it's cut from a different movie. Yes. Um, like every every act feels very mo- removed from the other. Um, at the least moment totally. when Jude Law comes on screen, it's not like the movie takes a hard left turn. It's like your car got T-boned. It's so crazy how the movie changes, yeah. I think. <laughs> exactly. And so, like, I remember watching it, and, like, we'll get to, I guess, like, just spoiler alert if you haven't seen this movie. Um, like, I'm going to give it away right now. We'll definitely ease into it. But, like, I remember getting to the ending and just being like, this is dumb. I'm like, this is just, like, like this is just, like, like I get why, like, people have kind of not forgotten about this. Like, it's a Spielberg movie. It will always exist. Yes. Um, yeah. But, like, I get why, like, people forget about this, like, when he started, like, making films in the new century. And it was like, oh, like, this is why people talk about Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, things like that, and why AI kind of fell to like lesser tier, lesser tier Spielberg. Um, it's not exactly like the Terminal, but like it's still like it's considered lesser tier. Sure, sure. Yeah, this is definitely not one that I always think of immediately when I think of modern or more contemporary Spielberg. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's why, like, I kind of forgot about this movie. Again, like, I always, like, I I knew, like, what it was, but I I really didn't, like, pay that much mind to it until, like, in preparation for this movie. And this is where I think we'll probably transition more into, like, our thoughts. Um, Because, like, my, my appreciation for this movie... God, I, I think to say like exponentially grew after like preparing for this recording. Okay, okay. What, did you watch it at all in between uh, that? Well, you said tw- about twenty thirteen, no, and no, now okay, okay, no, 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 I've not watched. Like I have it on DVD. Like I have like the two disc set, which I like. I, again, uh, this this did get a Blu Ray release like about ten years ago. From what I could tell, like it's pretty good quality. Um, now like I'm holding out for I hope a four K release. Sure. 
especially for like the twentieth anniversary. But uh, it's no, this this film's always uh, it's always been accessible. Like it's one of those movies that like it's it's not held in high regard, but it's it's always just there. Like it's not hard to come by. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. De- definitely. It's it's one that I, whether it's because I saw it when I was younger, but it's one that's always popped up, and I've I've thought I've known about it, at least and stuff like that. I know that there's some episode where you and I go off on like a 20 minute Spielberg tangent, and you list all the Spielberg movies, and there's some I've just never heard of, but this one is definitely one I've always thought of as Spielberg. I think it was. I'm with you. Like it took me a lot of time to realize that Kubrick was connected to it, though, um, and that was the most interesting thing when I was researching about this movie. That you know Kubrick had. Some some involvement in this um of course you know it doesn't this movie doesn't really get kicked into uh production or anything until you know he gets killed Cooper's by the illuminati dead. yeah <laughs> exactly exactly thank you for saying that rob this heart attack bullshit nope <laughs> Kub- kubrick kubrick finished editing a film and two days later he was dead yeah because that's coincidental <laughs> Oh God! Oh God! So before we started recording, uh, Zach said he he had to buckle up for this to see where I was going to go with this discussion. Are you buckled, Zach? Because I have a I have a hot take about this movie. Oh boy! I, I, okay, I don't know if it's a hot take based on like what the like cultural consensus is though. Like it might be. I, I don't know. I'm prepared. Like I, I'm, I'm interested. I'm I think interested. It, I think it's a hot take. Are you buckled? Are you ready? Is our audience buckled? Maybe everybody pause this and buckle up. Are you ready for right. what I think about All this right. movie, Zach? All right. All right, I'm buckling. <laughs> I like the foley work there. Unless you actually have a seatbelt on your. I am recording. <laughs> I am recording this live from my car because I'm afraid of getting whiplash right now. <laughs> okay, I, I, uh, I watched this uh, for the first time, like I said, in probably 20 years for this recording, and I am here to say this movie's kind of fantastic. <laughs> oh my god! I Rob, am Rob. Are you real? Oh my god! I kind I'm- of. Can, I have so much to say about this movie, but I have not been able to stop thinking about this movie since I watched it for this recording. This movie's – I don't know if I love it, but this movie is kind of great, <laughs> and I am shocked I, as anyone to say that. <laughs> I, I am so glad you said that because, like, I watched this, and, like, we'll get into – I think Rob's going to be able to figure out, like, why I kind of fell in love with this movie by the final 20 minutes of it. Um, I think knowing my personal circumstance and I will divulge that in time, but oh yeah. Like what happened was like, this was like maybe a week or two ago. Like my girlfriend and I, I'm like, we have to watch AI artificial intelligence. And she had like no idea what it was. I'm like, it's a Spielberg movie. She's like the steak sauce movie. (laughs) Yeah. I think she said that. I think she said that. Um, Like it's obviously the low hanging fruit joke. And so like I put it on and like, we like, we're getting through like the first like half an hour and she's just weirded out by all of this. Like, she's just like, this is weird. This is icky. She finds Teddy. She's like, oh, my God. Like, how he's walking. Like, it's so, like, unnerving. It's so icky. She's just like, like she doesn't like anything about this movie. I fall asleep around, like, right before Monica, like, drives him into the woods. Okay. I wake up at the moment when, like, like the... Oh, God. Spoiler alert again. Go watch this. When the higher beings, because I want to get into that in a moment, are talking to him about, like, Monica. And, like, I wake up and I hear her openly sobbing. Okay. And I'm just like – and I'm just like – because at this point, like, I forgot the movie. Like, I kind of have a vague idea about it still. But, like, it kind of just came back to me. 
And then I'm like, what is going on? Like, is she actually crying like about this movie, like this goofy movie where at the end, like the aliens come like, I know that's a misnomer. I will get to that. And I'm like, she's crying when the aliens like come and like they talk to him. And I'm like, what is going like, what did I miss? What the hell happened in like this middle hunk of the movie where like that got to her? And then like I'm watching it and I'm like, oh God, this is all coming back to me now. <laughs> and based on like the trauma, the emotional trauma of what happened to me last year, I'm like, oh God. I'm like, oh God. And just like I started to like break down. And I'm just like, Oh my God. Like this is like, for me, I know this is like the most archaic thing to say like on a podcast, but for me personally, this was like the most like hauntingly beautiful moment in cinema ever. Like everything that happens in that last like five to 10 minutes with David and Monica and like the higher beings, like I, the music, Haley Joe Osment, the actress playing Monica, who I think is horrendous. Like, I think like, like nobody in that first third of the movie knows what movie they're in. Nobody like everybody <laughs> in that first third is horrible. Um, oh, nobody you didn't, knows what you didn't doing. like a uh, discount Mary Louise Parker. <laughs> I, I mean, just like, I didn't like anybody like like even the set design is horrible. Um, Teddy's the only like good part in that first start of the movie um, because he's just like he doesn't know what movie he's in. he's the audience. Like, what movie am I in right now? <laughs> Are you bringing me to David? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but like, no, like I'm like I'm openly sobbing at the end. My girlfriend goes, she goes. I can't believe this stupid movie made me cry. And I'm just like, <laughs> and then like like I couldn't believe it either. And then like because like I fell asleep for obviously like most of it i'm like okay i have to rewatch this and as i'm rewatching it i find still the first third like atrocious like i just i just don't get it the second act i find infinitely fascinating for like pretty much everything that's happening like it to me for like i think like on a subjective level it's firing on all cylinders even though it's kind of incoherent at times sure and then by the time you get to like the third act i'm like oh my god like this is like Titanic ending level again for me where I'm just like, <laughs> I know what's about to happen. I just watched this like a week and a half ago and I'm just like openly sobbing. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Um, yeah. And I'm like, I'm just like, God damn it. Like this, did this just become one of my favorite films of all time? It's it's I'm kind like, of shocking because uh, I like I said earlier, this movie does feel its length. Like I definitely feel its length watching this like almost what almost two and a half hours. But that, like, last 15, 20 minutes with the aliens, and to be fair, I definitely thought they were aliens. I had to read about how they apparently evolved artificial intelligence, which I guess I should have taken, but I'm just like, aliens? That last 20 minutes is fucking amazing. Like, it is unbelievably amazing. <laughs> that's And that's the thing. It's just, it's, it's mind-blowing. And, like, everybody, like, like, and again, in my minimal research for this, because there's, a, like, apparently... Oh God, Rob's gonna hate me for this. But like, I went back and listened to the blank check episode on this. How many times? <laughs> this is the, probably the second time I've listened to that episode. I listened to the episode like years ago when I first discovered blank check. Um, but like, like Griffin, obviously, like I know a lot of the information on this movie is not accessible like online. It's in a lot of like the like the Kubrick book, yeah, Kubrick books that have been written in the last decade. Okay, like those really big like two hundred, three hundred dollar books. They're like more like coffee table books. They're almost like weird like like visual encyclopedias. Oh sure, sure. 
And that's like where you see the stuff about like the the journal from The Shining that's like really never been like outside of like, like like one or two sentences online. It's never really discussed in the history of that of that film. It's it's that you have to get really into the weeds of like Kubrick like Kubrickana if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. Um. Or like I started learning things about like apparently Kubrick like hired like audio animatronic people to like build like a robot to be like the early incarnation of David. And apparently it was like horrendous. Like when they tried doing this, like in the early nineties and these tests were so horrific. They're like, like burn the negative. We don't, we don't want anybody ever seeing this. Yep. Um, like stuff like that. That's what he wanted. Like, like originally Joseph Mazzella from like Jurassic park. And then like, like he realized, Oh, I can't do this cause I'm Kubrick. And it takes me three years to make a movie and like having an adolescent child, like stay the same for three years is impossible. Mm-hmm. So how am I going to do this? And that's where he's just realized, like, I I cannot do this, but, like, I want, like, Spielberg to do it and I'll produce it. But apparently getting back to, like, just the different acts of this film, like, the first and third act are apparently all Kubrick. Yeah, that's what I, I read as well. And I'm just like, I'm like, okay, I'm like, I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it. <laughs> and that's the thing I just find so, like, genuinely, like, inexplicable about yes, this. Yes. That just, like, like, that last 15 minutes is, like, 100%. Like Spielberg small. Yeah, it, it, it's like my usual thing is, you know, I'll watch the movie, then I'll do my research, and I totally had it backwards, which it seemed like a lot of critics did at the time, that they were like, this is the Kubrick, this is the Spielberg, and then everybody had it flipped, and I had it flipped too. But this is the thing that I think is like, like we, nobody gives Spielberg like enough credit, because like beginning with AI is when you start getting his very, very cynical, like blatantly cynical like outlook on like the human condition. Yes. And like where we go, like like Spielberg will always be known as like the king of schmaltz. But like the last 10, 15 minutes of this film, like gave me a new subgenre of schmaltz. And are you ready for this, Rob? I think so. <laughs> it's it's a term I'm coining of serrated schmaltz. Okay, okay. Because like it's schmaltz, but it's like it, it cuts. And it cuts like deep. It cuts to the quick. And it's just like it's it's heartbreaking. It's like it's that catharsis, but it comes at the ultimate price. Sure, sure. Yeah, I know I know where you're coming from. Yeah. And I think like in that sort of like level of just like oh God, level in cinema is almost like it it's never been touched before. The idea like a character gets what they want. But at the highest cost. Yes, ab- absolutely. And I, it's, I, I think so. I, I think we. It's, it's really interesting. One that I, I, think I thoroughly enjoyed this movie, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. I'm glad we're both kind of on the same page in appreciation for it. I think we might differ in in our feelings toward this movie. I mean, there was definitely the sad aspects, and I totally get the sobbing at the end. Like that's a, it's a very cathartic moment. I, this might be AI might be. In the last five to ten years, maybe, I have never seen a movie so fundamentally, emotionally upsetting and difficult to watch. I found this to be a straight horror movie. I thought everything about this was fundamentally unnerving. And it was like, I was like, wow, this is crazy that I'm feeling this way about a movie 
one about robots. And I guess I should say, <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm like a new man and my thoughts on robots have changed. <laughs> I still think they're our property. But I love that this movie, the question about this movie isn't really are robots life forms, like do they deserve rights and nonsense like that. It doesn't focus on that. It focus on, focuses on like how do we approximate humanity. And I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll get into it more, but I think like Haley Joe Osment as David the Robot you know, whatever they posit is love in this movie is fundamentally interesting. And so this movie asks questions about robots that are worth asking, not the, you know, should we let the robots into the UN question, which is done to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing that I find like fascinating because like, like, I, I, I don't know, though, because like, I'm just trying to figure out what was what was Spielberg's thesis on this film? What was Spielberg trying to get at? And that's why I don't know, because like Spielberg is a very talented filmmaker, but at the same time, though, he's he's not the highest of the highbrow. But at the same time, you look at like he has the sole like screenplay credit. Yes. So you have to, for the most part, attribute the ideas, the the ideas to him. Like this does not feel like a committee film. This doesn't feel like a film that had like numerous fingers in the proverbial pot. Yes, absolutely. That was like my biggest, as I'm watching the movie, my biggest feeling was no movie like this will ever exist again. I mean, like a studio big budget film like this will never exist again. Like how, like this movie switches from I'm fundamentally upset and emotionally unnerved to like, oh my God, this is the most bonkers thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Like it is a roller coaster, this movie. (laughs) But that's, but like, that's the thing. But like, it's a roller coaster, but like it's a roller coaster of incoherence almost. That, like, if it weren't for Haley Joe Osment, I don't think would stick the landing. I think yeah, it's like, yeah. I, and you tell me if you're, I guess, okay, the breakdown. Oh, God, how do you break down the plot of this? <laughs> um, oh God, this is like one of the ones I was like, I don't even know how to freaking describe this. Because the whole first act is about like David, the mecha, mechanical child, being like, acclimated and accepted into domestic organic orga life yes yes the second act is him being oh god rejected from organic orga life and him going on a quest to become an organic being Yes, yes. To to for, toward the goal of winning his mother's love. Yeah. Yes, the the becoming organic to gain his mother's affection. And then the third act is this like out of left field, like not even <laughs> that's a strong enough phrase of oh, humanity is gone. Artificial intelligence has reached a strata of awareness and self-consciousness that would be almost impossible for human beings to comprehend. And they discovered David thousands of years later. He is their Rosetta stone. They are so thankful for him. They want to give him anything to kind of quell his, Oh God, turmoil. I, I, I don't yeah, know. I, I, I don't of, even know what to call it. And, it, and, and they, they feel, I feel like, so, I mean, I, re- like I mentioned, I remembered the ending of this movie. I, for some reason that stuck with me. 
And I remember that there's like these aliens, and that I still that's what I think of them. Whatever the hell you want to call them, you know, the, these other beings. They find David, and they basically kind of like revere him as a god. And mm-hmm. and I, like I, it he's always their missing link. Exactly, he's their missing link. Exactly, and and it's always every time in like the last I don't know, I think it's been like five or six years since I found it. But one of my favorite things ever is the um, the animated film uh, Don Hertzfeld's It's Such a Beautiful Day. And there's a the ending of that is very similar, where like this character lives forever, a very long time, and like beings find him and they consider him a god because he's so different. It's such a beautiful day. Wait a minute. He's not gonna. He's not, he's gonna, not gonna die. He's not gonna die. But he doesn't die. No, 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 Bill. Bill, get up. Get up, Bill. Bill, no, get up. He can't. He can't. No, no, he's not here. gonna die. He can't, he can't ever, ever die. die. Bill. Bill. He will spend hundreds of years traveling the world, learning all there is to know. He will learn every language. He will read every book. He will know every land. He will spend thousands of years creating stunning works of art. He will learn to meditate to control all pain, as wars will be fought and great loves found. And lost, and found, lost, and found, and found, and found, and memories built upon memories, until life runs on an endless loop. He will father hundreds of thousands of children, whose own exponential offspring he'll slowly lose track of through the years. Whose millions of beautiful lives will all eventually be swept again from the earth. And still, Bill will continue. He will learn more about life than any being in history. But death will forever be a stranger to him. People will come and go until names lose all meaning, until people lose all meaning and vanish entirely from the world. And still, Bill will live on. He will befriend the next inhabitants of the earth, beings of light. Who revere him as a god, and Bill will outlive them all. For millions and millions of years, exploring, learning, living, until the earth is swallowed beneath his feet. Until the sun is long since gone, until time loses all meaning, and the moment comes that he knows only the positions of the stars, and sees them whether his eyes are closed or open.
until he forgets his name and the place where he'd once come from. He lives and he lives until all of the lights go out. And every time I watch It's Such a Beautiful Day, I'm like, oh, it's like the AI ending. <laughs> yeah, I, I have not seen that, so I can't attest either way. But, like, that's that's the thing, though. Is that, like, that ending, it's a cathartic ending, but, it like, it's it's also, oh, God. It's, it's the, again, the equating it to, it's the Jack and Rose at the end of Titanic. Sure. It's like sure. she finally she finally found, like, peace but it comes at the end. Yes, yeah. The whole, like that, when, when the, the aliens slash advanced beings, you know, when they show up in probably the coolest type of spaceship I've ever seen. It's a box that when they land, it just flies away in, in, in the shape of smaller boxes or slats or whatever. I love that design. The That whole, like, kind of ending is just a continual flurry of emotional gut punches. And it it's just... It's wonderful. Like, I was so on board for that, where this this alien thing is like, so listen, we figured out that the human life is inextricably linked to the space-time continuum, and we can bring someone back to life, but it's, in essence, removing them from the space-time continuum, so it'll only last a day, and, you know, we'll never be able to do it again. Uh, do you want to take your mother out of the space-time continuum just to spend 24 hours with her? And David Robot is like, Maybe this one day will be like the 2,000-year-long day I just spent under the ice. And it's like, oh my god, this robot can't even fathom what time means. It just wants its mother. It's the most wonderful thing I've seen in a long time, but this I think. Is, but, this is, but this is the thing, though. And this, goes, and this is a question I wanted to ask you, and this goes down to interpretation at the end of the day. Because Blank Check got really hung up on this. Is that when the AI higher beings tell him that like it removes her from the space-time continuum, like – that doesn't like it means that like I, how I interpreted that not that like she never existed it means like you get a one off at this like you can bring her back for a day and that's it like you get twenty four hours yeah this is something that will it's it's not permanent not that it erased her existence entirely from ever existing right? no I didn't I didn't get that at all I took it as I took it as like every like the fabric of space time is like built up of, of lives like sentient beings lives and basically you know if if they if these robots are advanced AI if they bring someone back to life from their DNA they're basically plucking them out of the space time continuum so that they can't do it again I don't think it like alters the past or anything exactly, I would have thought that more if the aliens were like we can see time all at once type of thing but i think they're bound by the same rules of time as anything in this movie linearly that's but that was the thing though blank check got very hung up because like they had very like both griffin and david liked the movie their guest like did not like it and they kind of their guest i forget what their name is like shared your thoughts and like there's a lot of like unintentional horror in this um about again the human condition sure but their thing was that like oh he removes his mother from ever existing so wouldn't that inherently like influence his understanding of events if she never existed before this and like i don't think there's any like i don't think there's any changing of timelines or alternate realities or anything i think it's just like in the sense all i took what is we remove it from the space-time continuum and we can only do that once 
Yeah, I think it's meant to show like it's the idea that it's non-permanent. I think it's a very, very grandiose way of saying non-permanency. Sure. Um, and that's the thing is like I said, I don't want to get too far into the ending because like we could spend a lot of time just dissecting that. But like that's the thing is that like it's it's that catharsis, but it comes at the expense of extreme melancholy. Yes. Is that yes. like Jack? Like Rose gets to finally be with Jack, but it caught like her life comes to an end. Yeah, it's yeah. like David, and that's another thing. Another question asked is like David finally gets what he's always wanted after waiting literally, prat not literally, but practically an eternity for it. But it's a fleeting moment at the last moments of his life. Mm-hmm. Sure, because sure. because even, even at the end of the film, the narration says that like for the first time David dreamed, and I would yes. imagine that's meant to imply that like it's it's essentially like not to quote blank check again, but like it's a closed circuit now in the sense of like he's finally fulfilled yeah i i took that that last narration um by ben kingsley it turns out uh, yeah. uh to be like he powered down because he he's he understands that you know the these new beings have told him that like if he does this his mother's gonna power down and it, it's and he powers down that's how i interpret it at least because then even the um which we'll get to i guess spoiler alert the way i want to end this episode is the end credits music in reverse because i don't think it's like anything we've ever played in reverse before um but that last song is is called where dreams are born and i think that's what ben mm-hmm. kingley says somewhere in that ending narration like david goes to where dreams are born or made or whatever that was the everlasting moment he had been waiting for and the moment had passed for monica was sound asleep more than merely asleep should he shake her she would never rouse So David went to sleep too. And for the first time in his life, he went to that place where dreams are born. But I, I interpret it as like he's done. He did it. You know, it's um, he I don't know if he like thinks he was a real boy. I think he thinks that he's just achieved his goal type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Again, it's the Rose Jack thing of like, okay, like her life, like she's fulfilled now. There's, there's nothing left. Yeah, yeah. Like you find ultimate fulfillment. Where do you go from that? Yes, because I, like, I think David understands that this can only happen once. Like I think he understands when these these advanced mechas tell him, like this is the only time you can do this. What he what kills me is that that line when the aliens are like you only get twenty four hours, and he's like, well, what if this day lasts two thousand years? That kills me. Maybe. Maybe she will be special. Maybe she will stay. I thought this would be hard for you to understand. You were created to be so young. Maybe the one day will be like that one day inside the amphibicopter. Maybe it will last forever. But I think no matter what he thinks of that day and how long it might last or the potential for it to last, he knows that once it's over, it's over. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. This is somebody who understands, again, who's weight, like, whether they're consciously aware of it or not, I think he, he realizes, like, the, what he, he's finally getting what he wants. And I love, like, the next thing where Haley Joe Austin doesn't really get a lot of respect for what he does in this final, like, 10, 15 minutes when he's speaking to the higher beings. 
And he basically, like, I love, like, the righteous indignation in his voice. And Rob will obviously insert the clip if he hasn't already. Where, like, he's speaking to them and they're explaining to him. They're explaining to him and us, the audience, at the same time, the rules of all this. Yeah. Um, kind of weird to have an exposition dump in the last, like, ten minutes of your film. <laughs> um, but, like, that aside, and, like, I just love how he says he's, like, they're, like, this is, like, not permanent. He's, like, can you bring her back? And they're, like, yes. Then you, they're like, but David, all we want is you to be happy. And I love how, like, just how he inflects on. He's like, then you know what you have to do. And I'm like, oh God, that's great. Now you can bring her back, can't you? Give him what he wants. I'm like, this is somebody. Like I guess I think that's another thing too. It's like throughout the entire film. David is a very, very passive character. Oh yeah, yeah. And then in that final ten minutes, he finally has agency. Yeah, and he's and, and they're like, "We're giving you this choice," and he's like, "Yes." And they're like, "Are you sure?" And he's like, "Unequivocally." And I'm like, "That's great. Like, that's so nice to see a character in a movie, a just be decisive, but but be so definitive in that." Absolutely. And I just, and especially a character that's been so wishy washy on purpose throughout the entire runtime. It really is, like, Haley Joel Osment might be who I consider the best child actor ever. Like, it is kind of unreal how much I liked his performance in this movie. And even, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of The Sixth Sense. He's great in that. I, I can't tell you anything because I don't remember Pay It Forward. But, like, Haley Joel Osment deserves a lot of credit for what he does in this movie. It works so well, I think. But this is the weird thing, though, is that, like, like you watch that first third of the movie— where you have okay, like just to break this down, like the movie begins with like William Hurt, he's going through like a little like oh god, like he has like a I don't know if it's like a, like what like a underlings or engineers or students. They're all cre- and they're, most of them are credited as executive. They don't feel like they don't feel like executive. They feel like students. Yeah. Oh, it definitely seems like he's he's the CEO and he's called like a company wide meeting type of thing. Oh, does it? I felt it felt like a classroom to me because like, everyone's just too jokey. Like, there's oh, too okay, much of, like, okay. a jo- like, I always felt like, like, it's too jovial. Like, it, it feel like everyone's a little too lively. Like, it's like, okay, it's a little too loose for, like, like a business pitch. No, I, I see where you're coming from. I, I definitely got, like, a company feel, though. Um, But uh, so, but I, I think both are equally valid. When you explain it that way, I totally understand where you're coming from. That entire room is basically filled with people who I'm like, oh, hey, that guy. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of that in this movie. There's a lot of, like, oh, yeah, this person. And, like, we find out that, like, he's doing this test. Like, he, he picks a random person in the room. They're a mechanical being. Mm-hmm. And then we find out that there's Monica and her husband. The husband's name doesn't matter. I can't even remember his name. Uh, I, I took him as discount Bradley Cooper. He looks a little like yes. Bradley Cooper to me. <laughs> he's been around before in other things. Like, he's another, like, one of those guys where it's like, oh, yeah, him. Like, he's, he's like a – he was like, like a – oh, God, a sitcom character actor like the late 90s, early 2000s. Sure, sure. Um, exactly. Discount Bradley Cooper. And he's like – he works for this company. He like – their son is like – like cryogenically frozen because he has some disease they can't cure. He goes to his wife. He's like, "Hey, my company has like this experimental thing where like they'll give us like a, like a mechanical child." She's like, "No, I want no parts of this." He brings the mechanical child home. It's David. She like initially is weirded out by his existence, just kind of like his weird like ways, like where he's obviously he's he doesn't know how to act. Yes, like, like a child. So like, there's that uncanny valley aspect of it all. Oh yeah, um, that, that that was. 
that was when I was like, this is straight up creepy. Like Haley Joel Osment yeah. in that first, before the imprinting scene where the, the movie turns into straight horror uh, and, and just unnerving <laughs> me completely. Like Haley Joel Osment is just straight up creepy. And the mother's like, can you just go in a closet while I'm doing laundry, please? <laughs> exactly. And then like the husband warns her saying like, okay, like if you imprint on him, he'll love you forever. Like, only do this if you're sure you want to keep him. Yes. Because, like, once you do this and you don't want him anymore, he has to go to the glue factory. <laughs> and she, like, and, like, like out of nowhere, like, she kind of, like, sneaks him behind a wall. And, like, she does it. And, like, okay, like you said, like, he, his personality takes, like, a hard right turn into, like, more human-like. And so at this exact moment, their son is like, oh, man, like, our son can be cured. And he's the little brother from Lizzie McGuire. He's yep. Matt McGuire. And Matt McGuire comes back and he's very hostile and contemptuous to David. And like he provokes him, but like not in like like David never gets aggressive, but like you can tell that that Matt McGuire is very aggressive. Oh yeah. Um yeah. Like, I, very I, that's, jealous. That's where I feel like so unnerved by this movie when when Lizzie McGuire's brother is is just like that scene where he's like talking to David and he's saying like, well, what can you do? Can you do anything cool? Can you walk on walls? Here's this toy. Break it. And David has no concept that this kid is being an asshole. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's so, so disturbing to see. Exactly. Like, and it's just, and that's the thing though, but like every, like that's the thing about this movie, every human character, I don't want to say is awful. Cause I think that's just too extreme of a word, but yeah. just every character is like, detestable oh absolutely it's like there is not a single human character in this movie that you would want to sit there just like never mind like share a, like like i don't know share a meal worth you wouldn't want to be in the same room with them yes and that yeah. and that's the thing it's just that like every character is like i just don't get it like and that's where i find the film very incoherent at times because like we'll have the like the younger well you're called the brother character and he's like openly antagonizing like David, like between like everything, like whether it be the spinach, like Rob said, the toys, and then like even the friends at the pool party. And like he even tells at one point, he's like, he tells David, the brother, go, go cut mommy's hair, then she'll love you. And okay, like, that, that is the scariest scene I've seen in a movie in a long time. That fucked me up. I was so. <laughs> bothered by that because once again it's like david has no clue what's really going on he doesn't understand you know like as we as humans watching this movie we get that this kid is doing something bad like the whole no it's got to be a secret like you have to do it while she's asleep and shit i mean it gets a little over the top when we get the mm -hmm. shot of like this point of the scissors right by the mother's eyeball but the concept of that of like the David's like, I guess I need love, so I'm going to take scissors and cut off a lock of my mom's hair while she's sleeping. That messed me up. And then the father shaking David like, why would you do that? I was like, this is difficult for me. It really messed me up. <laughs> but, but why, though? As it, like, like what, what part of that – like why did that unsettle you? I was asking myself the same question because I think like on paper I shouldn't feel this way. But I think there's something where the, – the, there is a sense of – innocence to david and that he is being preyed on and that and that gets and that got me i think like i felt for david i felt for like this being taken advantage of 
because it is still as as the movie starts to talk about, you know, there is some sense of where they're trying to give him organic love. Like it's not just lines of code, but his programming is just basically making him say like, well, oh, I can be convinced and gullible, you know, turned into anything. Like I'm basically mush if I'm if I'm told I'll get love because of it. And this then I think just the idea of like him being misinterpreted as, you know, he has scissors to get some hair. The humans don't see it that way. Like the father shaking him, it's like, well, this clearly has to be a malicious act. I think it's the scene afterwards where the father's like, this robot is freaking out. Like, it could hurt you. It could turn on us at any time. And we know that that's not the case. Like, the robot's never going to be like, oh, you know, like my circuit got fried and now I'm the, now I'm the Terminator but, or anything. But, is, but, but this is the thing that I find, like, this is the part where the movie becomes incoherent, is that, like, there's nothing in both the narrative and, like, the world that's been, like, painted that would lead us to believe that at any point any mecca has been hostile toward a human that sure that's true that's a good point because even the flesh fair people seem to be like well we just want to blow them up because they're unnatural to some extent exactly and that's the thing so i'm like why is the husband who deliberately brought this that's thing good into point. the house who knows all the risks and, and potential follies of this why is because at one point he even goes off like on a monologue and he's just like and he's just like oh if it's capable of love it's capable of hate. yeah yeah that's that and yeah, I'm definitely. like that's like 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 again whatever I think it's a show how just how like what's the word reactive human beings are yeah like they they just like they immediately think of the word again confirmation bias yeah. like oh now that I have my real son. This thing is inherently flawed. I don't disagree with you that there is some incoherence. Well, there's a lot of incoherence in this there's movie. There's a lot of incoherence. I'm with in you movie. there, and that's where when it when it turns into the roller coaster goes away from scaring the shit out of me to just the absolute most bonkers stuff I've seen in a while. But it is kind of strange. I definitely picked up on how I felt it was strange that like the husband's the one who's like, listen. Discount Mary Louise Parker. Take this kid. Feel some love so, I don't know, you can stop bothering me or something. And then after she imprints or causes the does the imprint scene, he basically turns into the biggest asshole in the world where he's like, God fucking damn it, this stupid thing. But I think, <laughs> but I think the reason why he does that is because, like, it goes back to the thing about, like, with machines and, like, newer models. Is that, like, think about, like, we get our, just for the sake of argument, we get our iPhone 4. Sure. And it's the greatest, like, oh, man, it solves all my problems. Until two years later, there's an iPhone 6. Yeah, yeah. And that's and then, like, guess what? The 4, oh, look at this thing. This thing is, like, slow. Yep. Like, what if, I, what if I'm making a really important phone call and it drops out on me? What if I'm stuck in the woods and I don't get service because I don't have – and I think that's what it is. Once It's to show that, like, human be everything to human beings is disposable. Yeah, and we even get – I think we get that scene almost exactly like that line of dialogue from the, the real son when he's, like – Teddy sucks now, you know? He's like, Teddy's a, a junk toy or old or something along those lines. Exactly. So, like, I get that element of it. I just, like, there needs to be an explanation as to why, like, they think all of a sudden that, like, and again, maybe it's just the, it's the human nature aspect. Like, the husband's just like, okay, this thing could just be hot. Now that I don't like this thing anymore, I'm going to automatically look for anything. That could be a detriment and just blow it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I And it is kind of weird that, you know, we – the I would say the – now that I think about it a little more, the only instance that we have any indication that a robot or people might believe robots might be violent to humans is the Jude Law getting framed for murder thing. But that happens after the husband is completely out of the movie. But that – but once again, to go back to that, like, 
like Jude Law being framed for murder. It's like there's no instances of Becca's killing human beings. Yes, yeah, yeah. We, so we, once we again, never. It would have. You're right. We would have been. It would have made sense if we got a scene where it was like. Oh, uh, the f- earlier versions of mechas were created to fight wars over resources. Because I guess we should also say the immediate start of the movie is Ben Kingsley screaming "climate change." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, oh God, that that hasn't. Like I said, it's it's aged well in one regard for pop culture, but like it's kind of like I guess they were trying to be clever back in two thousand one. Yeah, yeah, but like, yeah, it's it's. It, like even nowadays, I, I I think for the most part they've kind of abandoned that. Uh, what, what would you even call it? Uh, Fear mongering of like, oh man, like all of our coastal cities are gonna be gone in five years. Yep. Like yep. like that that is an argument for the most part. It, it always lingers, but like it's more or less dismissed now because it's like you can't say all these cities are gonna be gone every five years. Eventually, it's gonna be like okay, we're waiting. Yep. And yep. But the it, it one thing happens. we do have to say in this uh, 2001 Fort year, uh, Steven Spielberg posits in this movie that even 2,000 years after about 100 years from now, the Twin Towers will still be there. <laughs> Kermit does, Kermit's, Kermit's birth does not change 9 11. <laughs> At least we know that. Oh, God. Yeah, that was near the end, one of those, those flash forwards after the 2,000 years, and it shows the Twin Towers. And I'm like, that's, I'm like, talk about, you know, calling a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Most of New York, when they when they go there, like is either submerged and all those buildings are all, nearly rubble. When they go there in the amphibicopter or whatever it's called, yes, but those those twin it, towers will stay there forever. <laughs> oh boy, um, in twenty forty one that is, or I guess what forty one forty one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, I, I I definitely noticed that. But no, I mean you are you are totally right. There is incoherence to this movie. Um, and it's kind of baffling that I still enjoyed it as much as I did with that incoherence. I think it's because there is a lot of really interesting ideas put forward in this movie, and it made me feel weird ways that I haven't felt in a while. <laughs> Rob's like, stupid movie making me feel things. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is kind of, like I mentioned even earlier, like when Jude Law pops up, I think at like the 52-minute mark. We're just like, okay, he's Gigolo Joe, great character name. He's uh, he's dancing around. He's going to you know have sex with women and make them feel good. He we get that. I loved the scene when he goes to like the what the Shangri La motel or whatever for his next uh, client, and he shows up and he puts his music on by tilting his head a little bit, which is a great feature. I think I want to be able to just tilt my head and start playing music. But he goes to like the woman and he like lies down in the bed next to her. And he puts his hand and he says something like, oh, Samantha, have you been crying? I found a tear. And he holds up his hand and there's blood on it. And I'm like, that's really cool. I really like that. And then he's like, well, now I got to go on the run. And uh, the movie takes a (laughs) crazy left turn. Like I said, it's like getting T-boned in a car. And then the movie just goes like off the rails and stuff like that. But that – that's where it turns more into bonkers. I think that first, like, 52 minutes, like, from everything in the house to when she gets left in the woods, that was oh, incredibly unnerving to me. And then that last 20 minutes is also incredibly unnerving to me. But it works. It all works so well, I think, at least in the sense of drawing me in and making me feel something. Oh, definitely. Like, that's but like that's the thing. Though. Like, you have that fr- – like, that's what I'm trying to figure out what the theme of this movie is. Because, like, for the first third – Everybody, including David, is like unlikable. Yes. Like even when like you had the moment like he has like the spinach contest and like like him and like what Martin are eating the spinach mm-hmm. and it's like like why is he doing this? Like he knows like I, I guess he's trying to compete. Yeah. Like, he's just trying. Yeah. To, he's trying to match Martin beat for beat. 
And then, like, you have all that. And, like, I, I don't know, though, because, like, this is the part of the movie that really, I think, doesn't work. And almost, like, the ending is... If it weren't for the David Haley Joe Osment Osment performance, I think the ending wouldn't work because there's no reason to like Monica. Monica is not a particularly good mother. She's not like even like like we don't even see her as like a flawed but trying mother. She's just very very delicate. Yes, yes. And there's no reason to like her other than the movie's just kind of like dragging us to that point. Yeah, because it's even like, you know, when she, I I get before the imprint scene happens and she's doing like the test run with David or whatever, and she's creeped out by this robot, that's all fine. But even after that, I think, yeah, before the real kid comes back into play, Monica's eventually like, well, shit, let me bust out Teddy to keep this kid busy or something like that. Like, there is this weird sense of disjointedness and stuff, but I I think that that kind of is what the movie's getting at, is where, you know, they gave this robot just the the desire for love, and humans can't do that as—can't do that as completely and continuously as this robot wants to do it. I think that's what they're going for, at least that's what I got from it, but Monica just comes across as— bad in that sense in this movie because she busts out teddy and that's a crazy scene that she busts out teddy she holds it upside down she like fists it and it turns on and then she's like play with this thing and leave me alone stop using all my fucking rare perfume (laughs) yeah and that's but like that's where i once again like it's just there's no reason to like uh, there's no reason to like like that's the thing that makes it so weird like david wants to go back to her and there's no reason to like like be like really her like like everybody else you've kind of met along the way has been a better friend to you than yes yeah yeah like whether it be joe whether it be the like the little girl and like the father at the flesh fair Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um like all these like characters have done something to enhance your well-being yet monica and monica like her scene too like it's almost like like a dumb version of old yeller. It's like get out of here, you dumb oh, animal. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And like and like and again, discount Mary Louise Parker. Like it's just awkward. Like that entire like wood sequence. Like okay, we see her like like David. Like you want to go to Disney World tomorrow? And he's like, yeah, mommy. <laughs> and then like we see her like like she like sees like the sign saying like like so and so labs two miles. And he's like, are we gonna have fun on the on the roller coaster? And he, she's like, yeah, dude. And it's like one mile. Then it's like half a mile. And she chickens out. And she like, she's like, I'm dumping you in the woods. Don't run that way. Bad things like happen that way. Oh, yep. and by the way, avoid flesh fairs. And him, I, the character and the audience is like, what? Yes. What is yeah, going the, on right that's now? That's the first mention of any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then and and she's like, what is going on right now? And he's like, don't like I'm like in like. We obviously relate to David because, like, it's the equivalent of leaving, like, a, like a, an animal that loves you mm-hmm. on the side of the road in the box. It's like, like you're abandoning him. And so, like, you're, like, inherent – like, abandonment is one of those human emotions that, like, everybody understands. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And she, and she is committing this against a helpless creature – that all it wants to do is love her. Like it's the it's the equivalent of leaving a puppy on the side of the road. Yep. Defenseless. And like the, and like you wouldn't like that's the thing. Like it's it just doesn't make sense. Like like not not that let me rephrase that. Not that it doesn't make sense, but like it's almost inexplicable 
that you get that cathartic moment at the end. Like everything, there's nothing likable about Monica. She's like, even like the whole thing's like she imprints on him and the condition is if you imprint on him and you renege on it, you're going to cause this thing's death. Yes, yes. Which is essentially what happens at the end for him. But at the same time, it's also like it's she's a coward. She doesn't even she can't even go through with it. Yeah, it's like if yeah. you if you really want no part of this thing, at least do the humane thing and bring it to the shelter so it can be euthanized so it won't suffer. Yeah, she she has And that, she's a coward exactly where too. she's like, I don't want you to get destroyed, so I'm gonna just leave you in the woods and then don't go that way because you might get destroyed. Um But th- exactly. this, this is what I find so interesting about this movie, and I think it's when, you know, I, I really latched on to one of these ideas is that any any artificial intelligence movie story, whatever, any conversation about it, you know, it's like how how well can we get artificial intelligence to mimic human sentience? And that I think that's what William Hurt's whole speech at the beginning is that he wants, you know, a, a organic sense of love in a robot, not just some pre-coded response. In in this movie, David, you know, gets imprinted, so his his programming that turns into some like evolutionary algorithm basically is that he just wants Monica to love him. And and that's his goal. And through the time he spends with the family, and I think definitely influenced by the real kid, you know, poking and prodding uh, David that he's not real, that he is in some sense like a toy and that type of thing, that basically when Monica leaves him in the woods, David gets in his head, his programming, his, his, his algorithms basically say, oh, she left me here and doesn't love me because I'm not a real boy. So I need to be a real boy and then my mother will love me. And I'm fascinated by the idea that a robot or something with artificial, artificial intelligence feeling that way might be one of the most human things in existence. Like, let's say, like, a couple is together, and then one of them breaks up with the other. Like, let's say, like, somebody breaks up with, uh, like, a girl breaks up with a guy, and the guy, for some reason, gets in his head where it's like, oh, she broke up with me because I'm not fit enough. And they just get it in their head. They get tunnel vision where it's like, I need to work out, and then she'll love me. That's a very human emotion where that might not even be the case. It's a very tunnel vision of, like, well, why did this go wrong? How can I get love back? And I'm fascinated by the sense that this movie becomes they might have created true artificial intelligence in the sense of that this robot is stupid because humans are also stupid. They get tunnel vision. They don't fully understand things. And that was just a wonderful concept to me that David does almost the most human thing. And I think William Hurt's speech later on in the movie where he's like, your, your programming didn't make you think, oh, I can't find the blue fairy because that's a story and not real. Your programming made you focus to work towards your goal. That's fairly organic as far as I'm concerned. And I love that idea in this movie. Yeah. like, And, and that's the thing. Like, David does reach that next strata. Like, but at the same time, though, like, does he? Like, he is, like, so single, like, minded. Like, he doesn't, like, he. <sighs> That's what's so weird. Like, he doesn't have that human experience. I think about it. Human beings are not that single track minded in the sense of like, or tunnel visions. Like, that's the thing, though. Like, he becomes like that. It's like there's only one goal, and that's Monica's love. That's it. And I will do anything that gets me there, whether it be becoming a real boy or the like higher beings granting me this like one in a trillion chance of bringing her back. Like, I don't know. Like, that that's the thing. It's like, I just, I, I don't know what, like, again, this is, this is something obviously, like you said, I agree with you that, like, David might be the most 
what's the word human being yes as we get yeah. out of all the characters but like what does that even mean in the context of this movie exactly every human being in this movie is is i guess human they're selfish they're arrogant they're apathetic and they do everything regardless of what the outcome may be so by that instance i guess david is human because he just does what he wants like he's he just like and justify the means. Yes, yeah. It, 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 he, he has this thought and he sticks to it type of thing. And I, I do think that is very human. I mean, th- this idea also made me think of – I have to phrase this correctly. This idea made me think of our discussions about Interstellar, not directly about Interstellar. <laughs> but I know that we have disagreed before on the fact that, you know, like I, I think we agree on the fact that Interstellar is positing, you know, can love exist through space and time. And I know you said before where you're like, that's a fascinating idea, and I'm the disagreeer where I'm like, no, that's a dumb idea because we live in a world where love is localized. Like, somebody watches a woman in a bikini sit in a hot tub for eight hours a day on Twitch, and they fall in love. So, of course, love can transcend space and time. I think this movie is more a more interesting uh, mechanic and you know treatise on what l- human love is and can be in the sense of it gets so one one track mind it gets so tunnel visioned into oh if i do this they'll love me if i pay this girl on twitch enough money she'll love me it, and it, that's more human than anything i think i've seen about love in a in a while because it's also i i do like the fact that this movie doesn't turn into oh love saves the universe like the stupid version of this movie is love stopped global warming or something like that but i think it becomes more into like well, what does it truly mean to be loved? And I think William Hurt says that at the beginning, or someone, one of his, his underlings says that at the beginning, where it's like, what obligation does a human owe to a robot that is created to love a human? And my personal feeling is none. We owe no obligation to robots. But the movie posits that in a very interesting way by creating such a compelling character with David, who is so human-like. And I think especially because there's a lot of cases where love is not requited, and people go crazy and do irrational things because of that. And that's what this robot's doing. And that is wildly intriguing as a conversation point and just, like, an idea to, to think about. Oh, definitely. But, like, this is something I <clears throat> I want to kind of ask you now in regards to all this. And this goes back to, Rob's going to love this, a song from the soundtrack of Drive. <laughs> it's, it, it's a lyric. It's a lyric to a song. And this, is and this it is Where regard- Do You Want Your Groceries? <laughs> Stop it, Rob. Stop it. Don't make fun of drive. It's my favorite line in that movie. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Are all sharks bad? Um, That's another line for that movie. Um, All right, Rob. What is the difference between love and obsession? Ah, that is a really good question. And it's a really tough one to answer. And I think that that actual question is a great summary of what I was just – what I was getting at and what I think this movie touches on 100%. What is the difference between love and obsession? Is human love some sense of obsession? It is it, – it could be. It could absolutely be because I think even if, you know, obsession can be thought of as infatuation, like if you're crushing on somebody, like human to human I'm talking about, like that could be a, an obsession, could be just infatuation that might go away. But true long-lasting love of people who are married, say, 50 years, or, you know, there's, there's those cases of people where it's like they're married for so long, and then one of, the, one of them dies, the other one dies very shortly after. It, that could be viewed as obsession as well. Maybe there's, you know, not a constant obsession in the sense of we need to always be together, we always need to do X, Y, and Z together. But there's some, like, 
fundamental, you know, in the context of this movie, like space-time continuum obsession between two beings. I I don't know if there is a difference between love and obsession, to be honest. It's a really tough question. <laughs> and once again, oh. it's that's why this movie is so fundamentally interesting to me, is because these are questions I don't know if we can answer ever, and this movie is using robots as a framework for that, which is interesting and really cool, I think. Once again, where it's like, you know, that, like, the thing I always point out is, like, the Animatrix segment where the robots are like, we want to be in the UN and make decisions, and the humans are like, well, go fuck yourself, you're robots. That's not interesting. That has a clear answer. We should never let robots do anything because they're our property. They're our toys. Like, the part of my brain definitely <laughs> kicks in a lot in this movie where I'm so on board. Like, when Brendan Gleeson shows up, when Mad-Eye Moody shows up, I'm like, listen, yes, I would be him in another life. I would make flesh fairs a public right. <laughs> oh, God. But it, it, God damn in it. the sense of just thinking about this movie, that is, that is a great question. What is the difference between love and obsession? I, I, there might not be a difference. There might be a difference. It's such a difficult question. And it's it's just a fantastic thing to think about with this with this movie because I think a lot of love is obsession. I think love is a localized or can be, and in a lot of cases is a localized emotion that you can feel love for something. Like I like the example I take are the the people that you know spend money on you know random people online, whether it be women that sit in hot uh, little kiddie pools for eight hours a day. I don't know if Zach's aware of this. The whole. <laughs> Women sitting in bikinis in, in little kiddie pools for eight hours a day on Twitch and people paying money to watch them. That is, is this a thing? This is a like, very recent a thing. thing that's really weird. And it's, I've had a lot of conversations like I, about it. But some people see that as love. That's that's localized love in the sense that only one party feels it, which happens a lot. And that is very close to obsession. Is it now? I think like, so. Is that, like, is that just infatuation, though? Well, we'll see. This, then this becomes the thing. Is is love a clearly defined thing, or is it something that only people know it when they feel it? Because let's say I go onto Twitch and I watch someone in a bikini in a kiddie pool, and I'm like, yeah, that person's attractive. I'm, I'm never going to give them money because I'm not that type of person. I don't feel love. But there are people out there that are going to like keep subscribing to them, keep giving them money. And, you know, I feel like it's also a, a, a story trope almost. I mean, they do it a bunch in, say, um, like Law & Order's VU, where you have someone watching, like, a cam girl for so long, they, event they think they fall in love with her, so they kidnap her and do bad things, and Mariska Hargitay has to stop them, you know? But, of course. But is, is that love? Is that infatuation? We can't say yay or nay to that unless we have a definition for love, and love might not be definable. Love might be subjective to different circumstances and different beings. Which I think this movie also gets at, because clearly David wants to give and receive love, like emotional love, and we get the great juxtaposition of Jude Law, Gigolo Joe, who wants to give and receive physical love. And I think that gets at the idea of, well, is love a well-defined term? Is it sex, or is it emotional connection, or is it a combination of both? Because... The movie keeps them separated. There's no point where, you know, any David's having sex with anybody, thankfully. That, this would be a weird movie well, if that was the case. But then, okay, okay, I'm glad you bring this up, though. But at the like, there's a point during the flesh fair sequences okay. where Mad-Eye Moody is like, because like, again, they, they put David and Joe, like, on the thing. They're about to melt them with acid. Mm -hmm. 
And Mad Eye Moody's like talking to like, and David's like pleading for his life, and someone yes. in the crowd's like, like Mecca's don't beg for yeah. like their Ma- life. Mad Eye Moody fucks up. He gives the audience a chance to think that David's a real boy. Mad Eye Moody should have just burnt the skin off his face immediately to show them that it's a robot, and then given his speech. I was like, Mad Eye Moody, come on. <laughs> Yeah, or, yeah. Rookie. Th- this movie also doesn't answer the question: Is it really Mad Eye Moody, or is it David Tennant? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Um, but no, but this is the thing though. Like, there's like, and I want to see if you picked up on this, okay, okay, or maybe it's just my own like insane version of subtext. Is it like as like Mad Eye Moody's like going on his like diatribe about all this? Like, am I? like wrong or like he's implying like oh like they're gonna start using this for like more nefarious reasons like is he talking about like phasing out the human race or is it or he talking almost something like pedophilia almost like kind of like this is a perversion like like like, look at the door like i guess it's i guess maybe what he's saying at the end of the day is like look at the pandora's box they've opened like nothing good can come from this and he's not wrong by the end of the film i i didn't That's what I took it as, is like, this is a dangerous rabbit hole, because the movie sets up, of course, that, you know, climate change happened, so we need robots because they are basically like a one-time use of resources, not continuous use of resources like humans are, so they become more prevalent, and then I took his his speech as like, this is a dangerous rabbit hole, look what they've done, like, this, this child couldn't replace our children. I didn't get any specific, like, pedophilia or... When he said, I, I just took it as like, this is a dangerous rabbit hole. We need to stop it type of thing. And I was like, hell yeah, Mad-Eye Moody, you know, cut me in on the flesh. <laughs> but no, I didn't get that specifically. I'll, I'll listen you to did? it again. Okay. I'll put the clip in. But I, I just took it as it's like, this is a bad idea. And I was totally on board with him. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and children of all ages. What will they think of next? See here. A bitty box, a tinker toy, a living doll. Of course, we all know why they made him. To steal your hearts, to replace your children. This is the latest iteration in a series of insults to human dignity. And in the grand scheme, phase out all of God's little children. Meet the next generation of child designed to do just that. Do not be fooled by the artistry of this creation. No doubt there was talent in the crafting of this simulator. Yet with the very first strike, you will see the big lie come apart before your very eyes. Don't burn me! Don't burn me! I'm not Pinocchio! Don't make me die! I'm David! I'm David! Mecca don't plead for their lives. Who is that? He looks like a boy. Built like a boy to disarm us. See how they try to imitate our emotions now. Whatever performance this sim puts on, remember we are only demolishing artificiality. Let he who is without sim cast the first stone. Yeah, I, I, again, I think it's more supposed to be just like look, look, look how nefarious. Like yeah, nothing good's gonna yeah. come of this. Like, would would that happen now. though? If if we made children robots, would they get used for terrible oh, sexual God, yes. things? A hundred percent, one hundred percent. You could make a whole movie that turns into that after this like hour and ten minute mark. <laughs> 
Oh my god, Rob. I don't want that movie though. No, I don't think anybody wants that movie. <laughs> if you want that movie, you probably have to go to like underground to find it. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that's the thing though. It's like there's a lot of like that's the thing though. It's like but those philosophical questions, like they're answered, but it's almost like irrelevant by the end of the film. Yeah, the uh, that's that's true. But I think I like that because the movie – I like that the movie doesn't take a stance of saying like, oh, we think this is the answer. I like that we get so many different viewpoints and we it, it is left un, un, or opened, um, unanswered, ambiguous because that's what these questions are. You know, If we had a good answer for them, we would have answered them already. I'm okay with the fact that the movie doesn't say it's like, oh, well, we figured it out or anything like that. But I think the movie does, though. I think the movie, like, pretty much answers all of its philosophical questions by the end. But I think it's, like, that Inception dilemma. Whereas, like, I know, like, obviously, as Rob and I can both attest to, like, at the end of Inception, everyone, like, you what you see the spinning top and it cuts to black. Everyone goes, oh. Sure, sure. It's, like, it's like the point of Inception is not whether the movie would, like, at the end, if it's real or not, it's yes. the fact that Cobb found fulfillment. Exactly, and I it doesn't. I, Cobb's learned to surrender to just like you know what life is fleeting. Enjoy the moment. Who cares if it? Yes. Who cares? Yes. What the context is. One by. day we will discuss Inception, and Zach and I will finally get to talk about how if if you think that Inception has a bad ending or not a real ending, you've missed the point of Inception. The, the same people think that uh, Tony Soprano dies at the end of The Sopranos. You got it wrong, people, okay? <laughs> exactly, and I think that's the thing. Yes. Is that, yes. like, at the end of the day, all this stuff boils down to just it, – it, it doesn't matter. It's just the fact that, like, our protagonist has happened. Yeah, well, yeah and that's, that's where I, I don't think this movie answers the philosophical questions in, like it, – it doesn't try to put them in a finite answered sense. I think it does the, the appropriate thing of finishing David's arc and answering them in a subjective way. And that's what I was getting at where is love subjective, you know, f- by being, by relationship, whatever, and – I think I I think it is, and I think you can only answer these questions in a subjective way or in context of certain situations, and that's what this movie does. This movie answers these questions for David, and I I think that's really good. Well, because I, I think there could have been a different version of the ending where these advanced beings like give David the answer, but like you were saying before, the indignation in Haley Joel Osment's performance and stuff, it's not that they give him the answer, it's that he demands the answer he feels he needs. Yeah. And I think that's and I think that's what makes it powerful. Is that yes. like he has he has like basically he finally has agency, which I think is what everybody in the movie wants. They mm-hmm. want control over the situation. And he finally, whether it be human or mecha, and he finally gets that. Yes, ab- absolutely. Yeah. And and it, I think like all the characters along the way, whether they're human and incredibly unlikable for a variety of different reasons, whether they help him like, you know, Gigolo Joe, they all get him to that point. And then even Teddy has his little moment where he's like, I saved this hair for you type of thing, even though I – well, I also before – like when he first goes down underwater in the amphibicopter to find the blue fairy statue, that is some terrifying shit when they get there, the, the, um, the Ferris wheel falls on them, and David's just – just like, please make me a real boy. Please make me a real boy. Please make me a real boy. And Teddy's like, well, shit, we're stuck down here now. This is going to suck. I got to live with this dude for 2,000 years. That that all is like, it, it works so well leading up to that ending where, like you said, you know, it, it, it works for his character arc and stuff like that. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's terrifying, but it's wonderful. 
Oh no, it's no, it's it's neat. Like it's really like that's the like uh, we also talk about the fact this is very very Pinocchio based. Oh, absolutely. This is this is um Black Mirror Pinocchio. Absolutely. I don't even know if it is Black Mirror Pinocchio because like, if you go to like the original like Pinocchio text. It's it's very unnerving. Oh, like sure, whole, yeah. I, I've never. I'm not familiar with the original Pinocchio. I'm familiar with the concept that early versions or original versions of our fairy tales and stuff are uh, much darker than we know them. My my Pinocchio context is still Kingdom Hearts Pinocchio. <laughs> oh God, Rob. Oh God. Um, but yeah, I think that's the thing. Is that like, it's it's just that whole idea of. Like, like I, it's just, I guess the human experience in that, like, everything is fleeting, so just enjoy what you can. Yeah, there's, I think there's some of that there. It, uh, I, I didn't really take it as maybe the whole human experience. Uh, definitely the love aspect, of course, is such a huge part of it, because I feel like there's a lot of characters that relate just to, well, what can love be? Because you have David with the love receiving it and giving it to the mother gigolo joe i think the nanny character is a different form of love in terms of comforting love because we get that that absolutely like powerful thing of like her face is being melted off but she's still like trying to comfort david even though she's so far away from him i i think there's the love of like you know an inherent natural love because i think the little girl in the at the flesh fair who just runs up to the um the the robot cage and she's like there's a real boy in there, that type of thing. There's, I feel like that's a sense of like, you know, maybe, maybe love isn't the exact term, but maybe a form of love where it's like, well, we don't want to hurt other, like this little girl, this innocent human doesn't want to hurt another human or something like that. There's a lot of different forms of love in this movie, which makes me think it's getting at the idea that it is subjective in a sense. I also don't know why that guy is letting his young daughter run around the flesh fair wherever she wants to go that seems like a terrible decision <laughs> but like that's the thing that was like but like what is really is there anything dangerous going on at the flesh fair just for like, the robots yeah to be honest it seems like you know that it the way that it's depicted like the set design and stuff makes it seem like a mosh pit could bust out at any moment but it seems like all the does. humans are there but that, too but, but but it does though like a mosh pit does break out like like eventually, like what the the dad characters is like, cut them loose, or else they're going to destroy this place. Yeah, but that's in the sense that it happens because they think they're going to hurt a real person. Yeah. If yeah. it was, if it was all guaranteed robots, I if I feel like you know it would hopefully stay um, calm, or or you mm. know not there wouldn't be a riot that busts out or something. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it, it we don't really see a lot of it. I don't know how much like alcohol is being sold at the flesh fair or anything like that, and people are having fights in the stands. I would imagine a fair amount, Rob. I would uh, imagine I, it, a fair it amount. It sure looks that way. I mean, they got death metal playing, so who knows? <laughs> at one point, did they start throwing beanbags at, like, Mad-Eye Moody? Yeah, someone throws something. I think when, you know, the, they're like, he's, he's uh, David's, uh, well, they don't call him David, of course, but, like, David's begging for his life. Mechas don't beg for their life, and so they turn on Mad-Eye Moody. And some, I think someone throws either a beanbag or, like, a tomato at him. It's something, something like That's that. That's why I, th- I thought it was a tomato at first, but, like, it doesn't look like a tomato. It's a future tomato <laughs> it's a future tomato that's what it is no they, they definitely throw something at him um for sure and they turn on then they cut him loose and he won't let go of gigolo joe and all that stuff it's, gigolo joe okay i i don't know if, if we've said it before on this podcast but jude law is great i just love jude law as an actor i don't think i've ever seen him in anything where i dislike him i mean he's had bad roles before but I, he's just wonderful and i think he's great in this movie too he has some 
crazy dialogue, though, in this movie. Like, one of the ones that stood out to me is when they're going, uh, and he's like, oh, we should, David wants to find the Blue Fairy. Gigolo Joe has no fucking clue what David's talking about, but he's like, I know where a bunch of women are. They're in Rouge City. We should go there. And eventually, at one point, when they're talking about the Blue Fairy, Jude Law's Gigolo Joe is like, well, she will make you a real boy because I will make her a real woman. And I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> but it's kind of like, that's the thing, though. It's like, and that's just like, inexpl- like, oh, God, not inexplicable. It's so unheard of in a Spielberg film. Abso- absolutely. That, I'm, I'm glad we got back to here. This is, this is exactly what I was thinking when I was watching this movie where I'm like, when I think of Spielberg, I don't think of this. Not just like not just this movie and specifically, but this content, this quality of content, this emotional response. And of course, you know, he made Jaws. Um, I haven't seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind in a while, but when I saw it when I was younger, I definitely thought it was creepy. But that might have just been because it was more aliens. I mean, I I like Minority Report, but I don't think of Minority Report as anywhere near a horror. I think of that as more of a thriller, and it might be a horror just because there's weird eye stuff that goes on. But I don't think of this unnerving content and this fundamentally disturbing content when I think of Spielberg. Like you said, you know, um, I think Minority reports the movie right after this. And then what Catch Me If You Can can't be close, Mm -hmm. can't be too far after that, which is also a somewhat unnerving movie, but not nowhere near this. But then, I mean, you get stuff that's like what he did the BFG, the terminals ridiculous if i remember that correctly but this seems so odd you're absolutely right in the sense of you know uh, because i guess you could view uh jurassic park as somewhat of a horror but it's nowhere near in the same vein as this so i think i'm i I think we're in agreement that this is so unlike spielberg and i think that's also part of the reason i enjoyed it so much because i was expecting to sit down and watch this and get schmaltz 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 that i was gonna groan at and you know i was expecting someone to be like no he's a robot he can speak and has a face and we gave him a name so we should love him and it never did that and i was so happy and so surprised yeah no true and it's also interesting this like you were saying like kind of like where this falls like in the spielberg filmography because like this feels like a film that was very much made in the wake of 9-11 yes yeah it is it is as we all know it it was made a year in advance. Which is crazy to think about. And what do you know what his movie before this was? Was it was it Amistad directly before this? Uh Saving Private Ryan. Saving okay, Saving Private Ryan was before this. Okay, right on. And and that's that's a pretty heavy, hefty, you know, non well, there's Schmaltz in Saving Private Ryan, of course, but there's a very a lot of violence as well. Um yeah, it's a it's such a weird thing to think that Spielberg made this. And, exactly. And just like you were saying or we were saying at the start, it is even crazier to, when you read and research the, the Kubrick's involvement with this that apparently he went to Spielberg while he was still alive and said, this seems like it fits your sensibilities, Stephen, which is bonkers to hear or read. That's just absolutely crazy to even think about, I think. Oh, definitely. And that's why like it's so easy to fall into the trap of like the st- like saying the stuff in the middle is more the Kubrickian level. Yeah. And the other stuff is Spielberg. Yeah, it's it's absolutely it's it's, it's the weirdest thing to think about. <laughs> but it's also taking Spielberg at his word. Ex- exactly. That's a that's a good point as well. Yeah, it's all that kind of not hindsight, you know, it was after after the after the fact information from Spielberg and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, when you, once I started to think about it, I, I definitely 
you know, kind of fell into the trap of thinking like Spielberg, Schmaltz, and that type of stuff. Once you look at his filmography and look through the movies, or at least the ones that I know, it is kind of all over the place. Like, you know, The Saving Private Ryan is definitely different from, you know, Hook, is definitely different from Jaws, is definitely different from uh, Munich, eventually, or The Post, and things like that. It is a pretty varied filmography. Um, I haven't seen all of his movies, but it is kind of weird. Once I looked at his, his filmography, I was like, yeah, he really is kind of all over the place. It, it's just kind of surprising that I thought otherwise, I guess is what I'm saying. Sure. No, I get it. I get, at what point, though, do you think Spielberg falls into, like, the rut he's been in for the last how many years? Um, is, it, is it Crystal Skull or is it, like, Tintin? Oh, Crystal Skull. I haven't seen Crystal Skull in a while. I, I saw Tintin once and I liked it. What else was there? I don't know. The Terminal was pretty bad from what I remember. But like he's but like he has like War of the Worlds after that, which is a oh, very like which is yeah. more in the which is more in the vein of this. Yes. In Minority yes. Report. Absolutely. Uh that's a ridiculous movie though as well. I don't know. I don't know if it's he I so what what's the last one he did? It's Ready Player One, right? I think yeah, so. Yeah, that's gotta be the last one. And that I still haven't seen that. The, what was the one that you you mentioned that I had no knowledge of when we ranted about Spielberg one time? Oh, Warhorse. Warhorse. War I have no idea what that is. <laughs> I was like, "What the hell is a warhorse?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I I don't know. Maybe it was because were Tintin and BFG fairly close? Uh, BFG. I want to say it was like mid to 2015s, and Tin Tim was like 2011. Okay, because there definitely seemed. I remember thinking like in like a, there was a modern Spielberg thing that he got very um, I don't know, more kid oriented. I thought of Tin Tin and Ready Player One and BFG is very kid oriented. I might just be you know anchored to that because the BFG is Roll Dolls kids work and stuff like that. But I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I. I. guess I haven't seen enough Spielberg to know when the rut started and stuff like that. But I mean, isn't um, isn't the Abraham Lincoln movie in there somewhere too? Isn't that post two thousand ten? That's yeah. That's twenty twelve. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's just that was one of the surprising things when I was looking into Spielberg. I was like, yeah, he's really all over the place. He is. Oh no, he definitely is. But like, I think all these films kind of have that like level of just like Spielbergian like Vaseline like wiped on the lens. Okay. Okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I don't. And that I don't. He know. doesn't make movies like this anymore. De- definitely, um, unless Warhorse is a straight horror. I don't know. I've never seen it. <laughs> I don't know, but like, I, but like, I think Warhorse is more in the vein of like a Catch Me If You Can, okay. Saving Private Ryan. Like, okay. Saving Private Ryan's extremely gritty and graphic in the first, like, for the entire runtime, specifically yes. the first like. 10 15 minutes yes but like it, it then eventually gets to that spielberg like like level that we know and love ai is very sterile yeah until uh, yeah. until the very end yes yeah yeah definitely i think that's why i consider ai to work so well on me as a horror film because it is very conceptually horrific and terrifying where of course saving private ryan i think very famously so the opening you know storming the beach scene is just it catch it's gory of course and it uh, catches that feeling of like war and stuff like that so very very different in it's very horrifying but in different ways <laughs> exactly i agree yeah it's it's i mean yeah I, I i haven't seen a lot of spielberg movies when i think about it which is kind of weird but he's so in the cultural zeitgeist that you, you kind of feel that you know his his style and stuff like that even if i haven't seen a lot of it 
and and then there's so many Spielberg movies that I ha- I've seen once or maybe when I was younger and just never revisited. Like I haven't seen E.T. in so long. I don't even remember a lot of E.T. except the famous shots and stuff like that. Yeah, no, that's that's the thing I find uh, probably the most fascinating. It's just like like the fact that he's able to like in the 2000s he's able to shift between genres so easily yeah yeah and just i don't even want to say maybe genres is not even the right word probably tones yeah absolutely i think there is some shift of genre even if it might not be immediate because i I would say of course ai and minority report back to back those are in those are both sci-fi of course but tone you're absolutely right because you know, from what I remember, you know, AI, Minority Report, a little dystopian, of course. Catch Me If You Can is more grounded, but that is, you know, more of a, um, like, like I think the name actually says it well. It's like on-the-run type of tension-based movie. From what I remember, The Terminal is almost goofy. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen that in so long, but I remember that being almost like, isn't one of the subplots in The Terminal is that Tom Hanks has to play, like, matchmaker to two people? I would. I've never seen that. Okay, so I, couldn't I tell think you. that's the thing. But he, I would like, pass. He's it. a messenger between two people that work in different parts of the airport. That he like helps them fall in love or something. And I think that like he has to translate for somebody at a certain point. And he like he, like the guy's trying to bring in drugs, and Tom Hanks is like, no, he said the word goat. It's for his goat or something. I remember Terminal being goofy, but then it goes to War of the Worlds, which is you know just straight up you know nine eleven imagery type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, not, that's the thing that's interesting, though, is that like like War of the Worlds is the nine eleven movie. Yes, yes, oh, like it's, it's 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 indisputable. Like that is the nine eleven movie. Yeah, yeah, and and I've never seen Munich. Munich's really good, actually. Oh, okay, okay. I I think we've talked about it before. That the only thing I know about Munich is the scene in Knocked Up when they're like Munich is badass. Yes. <laughs> You know a movie I just saw again the other day, which is fucking, like, mind-blowing, and I haven't seen it since it came out? It's Munich. Oh, Munich! Munich fucking rules. Munich is awesome. That movie was Eric Bana kicking fucking ass. Through every movie with Jews, we're the ones getting killed. Munich flips it on its ear. We're capping motherfuckers. Not only killing, but fucking, like, taking names. If any of us get laid tonight, it's because of Eric Bana. I agree with that. I agree. Um, And then Indiana Jones, uh, well, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, that one I, I know a lot of people don't like it, and we it gets all the the flack in the world for the um the the refrigerator scene, and nobody likes Shia LaBeouf at that point in time, I think. Um, but that's I I I don't remember enough of that. And then Tintin, like I said, I liked, and I think that's the last one of his I've ever seen. Okay, because I have no idea what the fuck Warhorse is. <laughs> I was like, what is a BFG? That just sounds so goofy, Warhorse to me. BFG, I. I will totally watch one day because I, I, I like Roald Dahl adaptations. And maybe one day, Zach, we will even do a Roald Dahl adaptation series. Oh, maybe God. one day. Because I, I want to do the, the Nicholas Rogue Witches because that's a horror movie. Um, and we can do Four Rooms because those are based on Roald Dahl's uh, adult writings. And we could finally get Tarantino in here. And then BFG. And then we've already done Matilda. We could probably find another one to fit in there, I'm sure. <laughs> or Willy Wonka. There we go. Both of them. Oh. You want to do both Willy Wonkas? Uh, Johnny Depp would at least be interesting because of how just like weird it is. That's a weird movie, absolutely. <laughs> That's so, what I mean. It would be fascinating in that regard. Yeah, I, I guess I, I should catch up on some Spielbergs, but at the same time, that's almost like it's one of those things where it's like, why would I catch up on my Spielbergs? You know, it's so like I said in the zeitgeist type of thing. Do I really need to see The Post? Do, I've never had any desire to see oh, Lincoln God. or Ready Player One, you know? Ready Player One, like, 
uh, Ready Player One is like I guess New Age Spielberg because like it's him with like a big big sandbox. Yeah, but it's also him like going back to like his happy go lucky stuff. Okay, okay. And I don't know, like that's that that's not what this movie is. <laughs> That'd be crazy to hear somebody describe AI as happy-go-lucky. It is I'd the be exact like, opposite Did you of that. see the movie? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, the Steak Sauce movie. It's a great story. <laughs> but yeah, even the a lot of the older ones, you know, I've never seen The Color Purple. Uh, I've, I've never seen, uh, like, I think even Close Encounters of the Third Kind that I mentioned, you know, I, I haven't seen in so long. I would count that as, but I don't remember anything about it. There's a more in the in the back catalog that I've never even heard of. Like the like nineteen forty one, I've never heard of. Uh, he well, that was like one of his. That was one of his like earliest bombs. Like probably okay, his earliest okay. bomb. Um, there's he directed a movie called Always. I have no idea what that is. Uh, Hook, I I've seen and I don't remember. Um, Hook's a disaster. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a big filmography, and of course, like I said, he's so well known. But it's just like you know, it's it's kind of like I don't know. It, is it something like if you if you want to catch up on your my Spielberg or if I want to like actually watch more of his filmography it feels almost like eating my vegetables you know i wouldn't go that far okay i I really wouldn't but like it would feel you'd have to be very very selective yeah it's spielberg's a weird dude he's pretty old too isn't he in like his 70s now oh yeah he's been around forever (laughs) indeed rob indeed yeah i if he had more movies like this i'd be all about it i guess i should say i do like minority report i mean i haven't seen it in a few five six years or something but i i've always enjoyed it it stuck with me i guess in the sense that i've enjoyed it um same with catch me if you can i know in one of our other episodes we talked about catch me if you can well i think in the blow when we discussed blow we were like catch me if you can's the better version of this or something um that's a that movie stuck with me i think you i think you meant rob american made is the better version of blow oh god oh god I think the question we should be asking Rob is that how much better would this movie be if Tom Cruise was uh, Haley Joel Osment's character? <laughs> Tom Cruise has it, you know, he's about the right height for a little boy character, right? <laughs> oh, low blow, low blow. Tom Cruise is going to find us and cancel us uh, unless we convert to Scientology really quickly. <laughs> no, Rob's good. No, no, what's Rob? Tom Cruise is going to hand back all of his Cinematis awards like he did his Golden Globes. <laughs> Yeah, I can't accept these, uh, Rob and Zach, Eglib. <laughs> no, it, it's so weird. To, I mean, I think we got off on the Spielberg tangent from how weird this is to think that this is a Spielberg movie, but it's kind of like, I think it might be one of my favorite Spielberg movies now because it is so different or not what you think of from him. It's it's kind of crazy. Uh, it's Like I said, it's a roller coaster ride. It's absolutely bonkers. Even just some of the imagery, like, you know, the... The older versions of robots at the flesh fair, like there's the one that, you know, is just basically like a face on a TV and then a bunch of like tentacles. That's some really striking imagery. I love the shot of Jude Law and the Amphibicopter just watching Haley Joel Osment tumble down a skyscraper. That is just very interesting to see. It's I'm shocked as anybody to say that I actually enjoyed this movie. <laughs> Rob enjoyed a beep boop trash can movie. Yeah, yes, yeah, so a space science. Look at that. I mean, to be fair, the I, the other movies that he suggested for the beep boop trash cans included Ex Machina, which is oh, a horrible oh, movie. Yeah, no. That is the question of well, aren't robots real because they have faces? And it's like, oh fuck yourself, go fuck yourself. <laughs> But, I, but that's the thing, though. It's like, why do you get that cathartic moment in this? 
And I would say, like, in all honesty, Ex Machina is probably a more coherent film than AI is. Oh, on a, on a filmmaking and storytelling level, I would totally agree with you that there is a sense of coherence to it. But I think it comes down, to, for me, the questions that they're posing are fundamentally different. Where oh, the, definitely. The questions in AI are interesting, and the movie doesn't try to, like do anything quirky or clever by like turning anything on its head it just poses interesting questions and gives you different answers to it that it's basically like you know think about it on your own where ex machina totally is just like whoa isn't this crazy that we have a twist at the end or something like that like it's much it's much it's much less intellectually stimulating when it's basically like, is this robot real or not? Oh, someone's going to fall in love with a robot, and then the robot's going to escape at the end and leave the spy stuck in this mountain retreat forever type of thing. And I'm just like, yeah, w- like sure. Like, Alicia Vikander turns into the Terminator, basically, at the end of Ex Machina, and I'm just like, whatever. Like, I like it's one of those things that you've seen it so many times. And I guess I should say, AI starts... To, to just touch on what I don't like about robot movies is that when Jude Law is talking, I think it's right after the Dr. No sequence, Jude Law says something to Haley Joel Osment where he's like, they made us too smart, too fast, and too numerous. And so like they that's why they hate us because we're going to be all that's left. That's what I hate about the robot trope is that they're like, well, robots, we make them so good that they're going to take us over. You know, that's the that's the conceit of the Terminator thing where it's like, oh, we made a defense system where we're like robots protect us. Well, we need to kill you to protect you. Like, I hate that idea. One, because I fundamentally don't believe that will ever happen. Humans are not going to make a giant leap and bound and make robots so good that they're going to kill us. That's a stupid idea. And if it does happen, there's going to be safeguards. Like, humans are are not that good to make something that, like, bad against us that quickly. And if they are, they're going to know to protect themselves. And the, the Animatrix gets at that a little bit, which is why it kind of is, like, in the middle. Block between- out the sun! Black out the sun. We're gonna nuke the sun. The the animatrix is like the middle ground where they try and have it both ways, and I'm kind of okay with it. Only I guess I should say only in some of the animatrix sequences. Some of the animatrix sequences are really cool. Like the one where the guy is like a really good runner, and the the matrix is like, well, we have to break his legs because he's too good at running. Like that's yeah. a different thing. But like then. AI is the idea of, well, let's ask interesting questions about robotics, where ex machina is, it's like, isn't it crazy that, like, you know, if something acts like a human, you might think it's a human, and it's like, no, it's like, that's not crazy at all, you know, it's like, it's like video game characters are like that, any characters like that, like, you have people, speaking of subjective love, you probably have people falling in love with their Alexa or their Google Home because it helps them with the weather and shit like that. Rob, like, don't make fun of the movie Her. Oh God, that's a, that's another one. That's another one. So, but so the move the AI starts to twinge on that where Jude Law's like, you know, they made they're angry at us because we're better than them, and it's like, stop it. Like, I don't want any of that because that gets to my my deeply held opinion that robots and technology will always be our property and will always be inferior to us. And I'm glad that the movie doesn't spend too much time on that. It just kind of, you know, mentions it because it's a it's a fair thing to mention if you're going to talk about robotics and AI. And, you know, when you're creating something from technology whose limiting factor is true sentience, it's a natural question to ask. But people, 
stop making movies that fundamentally rely on that idea. That's what I hate anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I agree. I, I think <laughs> that I think there's I, I think that's the thing that makes this movie so interesting is that it does not end on that. Like, like, I don't know, like, is this a like this is a bleak ending? Oh, yeah, yeah. But not in the ways that you would expect from the genre. It's yeah, it's not yeah. that Terminator ending. It's not. It's it's unique in that regard. Yes, it's not the ex machina ending where the real human gets trapped, the robot gets out. Um, you know, it doesn't fall into that trope, which I really like. It's it's, and I think the other thing is that this movie, I like that it focuses on our robot character, where. The movies that do this that I don't like, they they start on a real-life character and work in that we should like the robot characters. Like, Alicia Vikander as whatever the hell that robot's name is in Ex Machina, she's not the focus until at least 20 or 30 minutes in. It it focuses on the spy and Oscar Isaacs. And, you know, other movies, they always say, like, oh, here's our human character, that's our connection— and then we're going to work in the robot. And the movie, like, for some reason thinks it's like, oh, we should start to feel for this robot because this main character feels for the robot. And I always, I always have a disconnect there because once a human character starts to feel for a robot, I just start to think that human character is a fool. And I lose any, you know, connection to that. This movie, David is 100% the main character. And to get at what you were saying earlier, I think it works even better because our human characters are so unlikable that it really focuses us in on caring about David and caring about his arc. Even if still for me in the back of my head, I know he's a robot and that, you know, if he dies or if he, you know, gets blown up, it's going to be like, okay, he's just a robot. But the movie works well in just making him the focus of it. If that makes sense. Definitely. No, I get what what you're saying. God, X mocking is so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Rob, you don't Rob, which is worse. X machina or arrival. Oh, oh, Arrival. Arrival, uh, Ex Machina is is another bad example of an overused trope. Arrival is a fundamentally dumb idea with fundamentally dumb execution. (laughs) Rob does not like Arrival. Oh, I I get a lot of hate. People are like, Arrival's one of the most, like, intellectual, intellectual, like, uh, sci-fi movies in a while. And I'm like, they are literally the stupidest people making stupid decisions. And spoiler alert, the end of Arrival is that they learn a language that lets them see through time, which is the dumbest fucking thing I've heard since Can Love Transcend Space and Time and in Interstellar. God, <laughs> knock it off. Knock it off, Rob. Knock it off. No, Arrival. At least Arrival has one thing going for it. It's not about robots. <laughs> oh, Rob. Don't be making fun of it. Oh, I will never stop making fun of Interstellar. <laughs> So I, I guess I did want to ask you, um, whether it be in your early viewing or for this one, did you th- get that those beings at the end were supposed to be advanced AI, or did you think aliens as well? Because I, I got aliens. I, I had always thought of this as aliens, and I got aliens on my last viewing of it, for sure. I always thought they were aliens okay. until I was listening to Blank Check today, and they're like, they're robots. You're stupid if you don't know that they're robots. And I'm like, oh, God. I'm like, Griffin Newman called me stupid. I'm like, jeez. <laughs> And I'm like, it makes sense, actually. Like, if you look back like, at the very beginning of the film and you see, like, the silhouette of, like, Haley Joel Osment, he yep. kind of looks like one of them, yeah, like, coming yeah. into focus. And I'm like, God damn it. No, it, do- it like- does make sense. I think the uh, we should take some solace in the fact that we were not alone. Apparently, almost every critic at the time this came out thought they were aliens as well. And I, I, I don't think it's explicitly stated, you know, that they are this advanced AI or the evolution of what David is, where David is, like, the first step towards them. 
It does make sense, though. I'm with you there. Once I read that and I think about it, I'm like, yeah, you know, it kind of kind of says that. Because I think one of the subtitles from the beings is something like, he was there when the living beings, like when our creators were there or something like that. So it does make sense. But also at the same time, if they're aliens, if they're advanced AI, either way, I would buy if they revere David as a god and want to make him happy. I buy that they have this technology to do crazy shit with the space-time continuum. Does it really make a difference if I think they're aliens or they're advanced AI? I don't think so. I think the ending works either way. Yeah, I, th- I think it's irrelevant. It's just yeah. kind of a detail. Yeah, exactly. It's the idea that a higher B, it's, oh God, it's just, it's a way for the plot to advance. A- 100%. It's, it's a very very uh far out way <laughs> like it's like like it like you really have to be on board with the movie at that point oh, i oh, think yeah, yeah. i think you for um, the movie asks you to take a lot of leaps but that is a like like that is a leap and a half yes yeah yeah 100 like when i described jude law showing up at the 52 minute mark that's like your car getting t-boned the alien slash advanced mechas showing up at the end is like the ambulance that picked you up from the car accident also gets t-boned <laughs> <laughs> exactly and and that's why it's like okay like I get why, like, in the blank check discussion, they're, like, making fun of people who laugh at this movie at the end for being so goofy. But, like, I think that's the thing. I think this is a movie that you have to let – you really have to let it sit. Like, it, you have to watch it. It's like trying – like, oh, God, like a hard liquor. It's like you, first time you try it, you're not going to like it. You're just, like, you're not going to like it. And then you kind of got to let it sit for a while. Yeah, I I would agree, and that's kind of what happened with me in this um and and watching it for this recording that I watched it while I was watching it. You know, I think the two biggest things I took away, or the, maybe the three, were you know this is a wildly interesting uh, set of concepts it's proposing and things to think about. Um, it makes me feel very very upset and disturbed, and it it feels its length. So I felt its length, and I was unnerved during that length, and it was a very very unique viewing experience. But after, like, in the days since I watched it, you know, and we were getting closer to this recording, like I said, I couldn't stop thinking about it, and it sat with me. And it was one of those things is the more I thought about it, it grew in appreciation as it sat with me. Like, it was aging appropriately as my brain kind of resonated and, and, you know, uh, tried to distill it and understand what I felt and what was going on. And that's the other thing. I could totally see people watching this, and if you're not on board with it or something, or maybe if it's not clicking with you in a certain way, you could start to laugh at it and find it goofy or something like that. But but it, it the way it kind of rooted in my brain and made me think about it and I started to appreciate it more was so wildly unique. I haven't had a movie like make me think that way in a while because of the last few years, the movies that I really latch on to, I just kind of love immediately type of thing. We're here. This one kind of, you know, it, it planted the seeds of something interesting, and I and I started to think about it more, and I started to appreciate it more, and I'm just like, man, like it it, it worked, it got me, type of thing. That's the thing. It's like I, I again, first time watching this was 2013, 2014. Really didn't know what to make of it. I, I thought it was interesting. It was definitely something that was kind of. There's nothing else quite like it specifically. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then it wasn't until in preparation for this recording where I'm like, and again, this is the part where like, I guess now after we've been talking for uh, like t- almost two hours, is that like the thing that made me really appreciate this movie. And I think Rob knows what I'm getting at as somebody who like lost their mother less than a year ago. Um, 
you have the idea of getting a loved one back. Sure. It's sure. the idea that, like, against all odds, against everything, someone can o- get, like, literally, like, this is what the, the higher beings are saying. Like, we can open a portal in not so many words and bring back this loved one, but it's for a very finite amount of time. Yes. And in that finite amount of time, you can do anything you want with them. Like, the only rule is that, like, you don't want to, like, bring up become very very you don't want to explain to them the circumstances yeah, of how they're yeah. here because obviously it will make them very what's the word uh, confused and just like they wouldn't be able, they, yeah. they wouldn't be able to comprehend yeah you don't want to upend their worldview and cause their head to explode exactly <laughs> just, just don't say anything to upend my worldview all right i got kids Exactly. And like everything that David, like the entire routine that he has for her, like he's like, like, like he makes the coffee for her. And that's something that like I would like as a child and even into adulthood at times, like I would always prepare my mother's coffee if I could. And that's like one of those things where I'm like, like I'm just like melting. And sure. I'm just like, oh, like it's just it, it, it's hitting that note in a very, very specific way. And then, like, like the whole idea, like, just being able, like, you, you, like in the last year, there's been so many times I've just, like, something, I've learned some news or heard something, and the first instantaneous thought that goes through my head is, I can't wait to tell my mother about this. And then, like, you have that realization of, oh, I, I'll never be able to do that again. And then, like, the whole idea of, like, what would it be like even for one day to have that back? Yep, yep. Just, like, just that one day. And then even at the end of that day, it might be tragic, heartbreaking to say goodbye, but you that the you got to experience the impossible. Yeah. And, yeah. and who and who wouldn't for for the cost of nothing, really, other than just the idea of having to let go once again, who wouldn't want who wouldn't take the opportunity yep, yep. to have a loved one back in their life for one day and nothing is off limits. Yeah, it it really is beautiful the way that it's played out because I was also after I watched this I was ex- I was talking to someone I asked them if they had seen it and they were like no and I was explaining it I was explaining basically how upset it made me and how kind of you know horrifying on a conceptual level it was and I explained to them the whole thing of like the ending about how we like the craziness of the whole space time continuum like lives are inextricably linked to it linked to it and stuff like that and I explained that like he chooses to bring the mother back for one day and they were like well what does he do with her and I'm like he makes her coffee, and it's uh, the most amazing, like, perfect arc to that character. And I could tell that, like, me explaining it to this other person who hadn't seen the movie, it didn't land appropriately. But once you watch the movie, it lands fully appropriately. Because it's like, well, yeah, that's all he wants. That's what that love is, is just spending time making the coffee, doing the drawings and stuff like that, and then laying down with her and things. And And you're absolutely right. It's like, that taps into the finality of you know emotional loss and how if we had the chance to get it back we would and it's it's just a wonderful concept and once again another version of like what love is type of thing oh like absolutely 110% yeah and that's why i think this movie like 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 obviously movies and just art in general speak to us for very specific reasons and again beauty is in the eye of the beholder yep and I think that's maybe where I'm biased, where maybe if like I watch this movie a year ago, 
I wouldn't appreciate the way I do now because obviously it, it does not resonate in that very unique particular way. Sure. But at the same time too, like watching my girlfriend's reaction to this, I have to say, maybe not. Okay. Yeah. And that's fair. the thing. Like, and that's the thing. Like at the end of the movie, she says, I, again, for someone who was weirded out by everything in the first half an hour of this movie, <laughs> everything weirded her out. And by the last 20 minutes, she's openly sobbing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a I, roller coaster. Definitely. It is. And yet somehow like beyond all odds, it's able to stick the landing. Yeah. Even somehow, the, even the, um, like we mentioned, the scissor scene where it's – I find that absolutely horrifying, and then – you know, but of course the whole thing is the real son is like, oh, you got to do this. The real son knows that he's making David do something bad, but he's doing it through the lens of, lens of convincing that you know, getting the lock of his mom's hair will be a form of showing that David loves her type of thing. And it's, it's so scary. It's played so you know, emotionally unnerving, for me at least. But then I love the fact – that at the end, the lock of hair is basically the greatest symbol of love that he could have at that moment to give mm-hmm. to the air quotes blue fairies of these super beings to get that one last day. It's it's wonderful. It's so fucking amazing. And, you know, if, if people have listened to this podcast or know me, there's two things I really hate in stories, robots and love. And somehow this movie is only about those two things. And it's amazing. <laughs> God damn it, everybody. God damn it. It did the impossible. It it really it really did the impossible. <laughs> this might make up for Shrek <laughs> in the two thousand one fort year. I guess like at the end of the day, like like it might I still think it might be a tad premature, but I'm I'm like much like I said Hannibal might be the reason why a nine eleven happened. I, I I think this is gonna be my favorite film of the fort year. Okay, okay. This is, I think it will be. This is definitely of the um, – it's up there. It's going to be up there for me. I mean because, of course, the ones that I really like are the, um, the, the ones that I have a lot of familiarity with, like Monkey Bone you know, and things like that. This is one of the ones that I am absolutely shocked. I'm sure if I went back and listened to some of the earlier episodes from the Fort Year, I, I am pretty confident that I've said something like I am not looking forward to AI, and I, I was wrong. I'm so glad I rewatched this. This blew me away. And I'm sure, I don't know, maybe if, if Space Science is out there still listening, he's going to be like, well, goddamn, there's a beep boop trash can movie that I have to take out of the series I proposed. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, everything about this is, is like genuinely, like, I, I didn't expect to love this. Like, I kind yeah. of, like, not that I was begrudging, like, like, this wasn't like one of those movies where I was like gritting my teeth going into it. But at the same time, I wasn't exactly looking forward to this either. Yep, yep. And uh, no, I am. Uh, I was shockingly, pleasantly surprised. It's mind blowing. It's absolutely mind blowing. I, I really can't believe it myself. <laughs> it really is. It's great. Yeah, it's that great. it's that that ending is wonderful. I mean, and then even some of the so the we've talked a lot about some of the terrifying stuff or stuff that I found terrifying in that that first you know act where it's all in the home with the family, like the scissors scene. Um, the spinach scene totally wrecks me. The choice on a um, there's a few choices that the movie makes that I find like on a maybe on a storytelling level they're a little weird to me. But in universe, I think it is the strangest thing that you know. Let's say you have this robot kid. It's a one of a kind at this point. You know this this kid is this new type of um, love giving and receiving type of robot that is almost a prototype for this this company. I forget what even the company's called if we hear it, hear the name of it. But the the robot can't eat. Eating is bad. Robot 
fucking pounds a shitload of spinach. No good for the robot. It has a stroke. We see, we literally see Haley Joel Osment's left side of his face sag like it's having a stroke. Isn't it the craziest decision for the tech service of this robot company to pump out the spinach from the robot and clean it and get it back in repair in front of the family? Shouldn't they take the robot to be serviced in a back room where the family won't be reminded that this is a weird series of bolts and code? I thought it was so strange that the family was basically watching the robot get its stomach pumped. Did that stand out to you at all? It's funny you mentioned, like, yeah, it's a little peculiar, but I wasn't too, like, removed from it. Okay, I was like, what is, this, is. what is this service plan? Like, you, it's like a car, I think. You should bring the car in and get worked on. It's not like, you know, the mechanic does a house call. Like, but this, but this is the funny <laughs> thing, though, is that like in the blank check discussion, they're like, well, fuck, I'd be the, I'd be like, like what's her name? Uh, what's her name? The mother, too. I would sit there and be like, nope, I want no parts of this thing. It's like you can't even, <laughs> you couldn't even put up a curtain. And it's like it's so yeah. it's such a weird decision to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. It's it's a very odd choice. That that was horrifying. Um, before the real kid shows back up. The just out-of-nowhere laughter scene at the dinner table, that unnerved me. I mean, Haley Joel Osment does a great job in that scene with the, the crazy laughter. Um, the way that he just starts almost like out of nowhere very abruptly, stops just as abruptly, that was really weird to me, very horrifying. You know, a lot of the shots of Haley Jawsman, like his face behind like the ridged glass door, where you're basically seeing him in like staggered cuts of imagery and his eye is, is staggered, that's a really, really creepy visual. And then of course the the scene where the the asshole kids are like, let's test if he has a defense mechanism. And he's grabs on to Lizzie McGuire's brother and he's like, protect me, protect me, protect me, and drags him down to the pool. The adults are trying to wrangle the real kid away from the Haley Joel Osment robot as the kid is clearly drowning. We get that very explicit shot of Lizzie McGuire's brother's face where he's like clearly, you know, not being able to breathe and reaching the point where it's bad for him as a human. That is just terrifying it really did remind me of the of black mirror of the good original black mirror so pre-netflix black mirror where it is kind of like conceptually horrifying and it works really well and it unnerved me it fundamentally distressed me while i was watching this movie i was i was so like oh my god i haven't felt this way from a movie in a long time this is the thing though like when it comes back to the movie is that like where like we don't get any sort of thing like we see like when we get that moment where David tries to like, he's like, "Martin, protect me, protect me." When the kids try to like, yeah, like slizz sl forearm with the cakes, like the cake cutter. Yeah, we don't get any follow up with that from like Martin's perspective. Because no, at that point, no. Martin Martin is not the catalyst for that. At that point, Martin is kind of warming up to David because like him, like both him and David can't go in the water. Yeah. And yeah. or what well, we think at that point, David can't go in the water. And that's what's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Is, and that's why I think it's odd that like we don't get to see anything from his perspective. Like pretty much like once the fam like once 
Monica like pretty much leaves him in the woods, we never see them again. Yes, yes. Which is obviously a deliberate choice, but I think it's interesting that we don't get to see the aftermath of that because obviously the husband disposes of him as an old, like mentally and both like practically physically disposes of him as like old technology. He's obsolete. He no longer serves a purpose because we have our son back. Yep. The mother treats him like a puppy that bit their son. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. It you're you're right, it is weird. We don't really get as much of the fallout of that event. Once I kinda like processed the the actual scene and like I I processed it unnerving me, my immediate response was more like, Why the fuck do the parents keep leaving the robot kid alone with the real kid? Like nothing has gone well when they ignore them. Cause the the spinach scene is there like the parents are talking amongst themselves and Martin causes the, the, the David to eat all the spinach. They leave him alone at the pool thing. They leave him alone at night, which causes the scissor scene. My immediate reaction was, what the fuck is wrong with these parents? Clearly, bad things keep happening when they ignore their robot and real kid. Stop doing it. Like, chain the robot kid up or something. Well, I think, like, that's, like, what we could have, like, used, like, more of. Like, even though, like, I don't want that first act expanded on any more than we have to. Sure. But instead of having these very, like, peculiar scenes, like the laughing scenes, like, that's, like, I would have preferred a little bit more in that direction. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, like, okay. that's, because, like, that's, that's, like, what we have, like, we have three different, like, uh, clashes. We have the father character that sees David now as obsolete technology the mother sees him as a as a, a puppy that bit their son. Yep. And pretty much with Martin, it's like Cain and Abel. Yeah, yeah. And we get pretty much resolution. Like we basically get a resolution to all those, but at no point do we ever see like Martin clearly is jealous of the effect the very minimal affection David gets. Mm-hmm. But no time do we ever see him like vocalize his discontent as directly as the father yes yes so and that's why i find peculiar sure no i i totally agree with you uh i i i didn't look into this enough i don't know if you did either but the um this this whole kind of movie and and kubrick's uh obsession maybe not whatever his interest in this back when it started was um from a short story called super super toys last all summer long and i didn't look into this story explicitly but apparently that story is just that first 50 minutes of the movie in the home with the robot so maybe there's something where they're adapting that and maybe the story doesn't get into that so they didn't really add it to this movie or maybe they wanted to put so much else into this movie that they had to remove some of the stuff from the story that might answer or get at the things that we're you're mentioning and we're discussing but i don't know i'm i'm with you that it is a really really weird kind of decision to to leave out some of these almost you know humanistic natural reactions that we would expect from events like these happening in somebody's life oh definitely because like there's things also in this movie like this movie could have like like been trimmed down like like the whole doctor no thing is like grating after a while oh, it's so i dig that scene but it goes on a while <laughs> because that's the thing though like it, it goes almost like into like abbott and costello territory we're like that's not my first question yes. i'm like oh god make yes. it stop make it stop make it stop um and, and that's the thing. So, like, you could, like, there's very, like, moments where you could condense that. Like, you probably could, con- like, condense the William Hurt and Dr. No into one thing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You They easily a- could have found 1,000 minutes of this to cut out of this 7,000-minute long movie. I'm yes. totally with you. <laughs> 
Yeah. And that's why I'm kind of like, like, that's the thing. It's like, I think they could focus a little bit more attention on the, like on the family. Sure. Like, I think once you leave them, that's good. You leave them for good, but you could have tightened. You could have mm-hmm. tightened some of this. Absolutely. Um, but maybe, maybe by tightening, like maybe it's not even tightening. It's just kind of refocusing on different areas. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. I don't really care for the, the scene because I think it's fleshed out enough with what, what else we do get. The scene where um, the real kid does the um, let's see who Teddy's going to go to first type of thing. Like mm-hmm. that, that didn't resonate with me at all because I mean, I well, one, like I said, I think it's flushed out enough. Like if that scene had just started where we get the the stuff where the real kids like, well, what can you do? Anything cool? Break my toy? That would have worked just as well. But I feel like the real kid doing the Teddy, which one are you going to come to when we call you? That's almost him kind of acknowledging that David is somewhat real in a sense, but clearly from what else we see he. He sees David as property? I don't know. That scene didn't work for me, which I would totally say cut that out, focus on something else. Yeah, definitely. Because Teddy just runs to the mother, and the mother's like, God damn it, leave me alone, robots. <laughs> Stop using all my perfume. <laughs> but, I think, but I think that's supposed to be like, that's supposed to be a cute moment. Yeah, yeah. Like that, like that's meant to be levity. So yeah. like I'm willing to forgive that. Sure, sure. It's just yeah, the levity and stuff. But you're definitely right that you know it, it could have focused on other things that would have flushed out some of that stuff. But I'm I'm also in total agreement when when they leave the family and the family doesn't come back. I am just totally fine with that because it moves I on to different like... concepts and and more interesting ideas. Or not that the first part isn't interesting, but it it expands on these questions and concepts it's proposing in a good way or that it leaves the family. Exactly. But I just would have like a little bit more fallout from the uh, yeah. coolants. Yeah, ab- absolutely. 100%. Yeah, that I mean that whole thing is is a very interesting scene and you know that that's kind of the um I think that's the last one that's almost the icebreaker for the family that they see it as, you know, David almost hurting their real child type of thing. Um, they don't understand that because I could totally see that there's some scene, some follow up of that where they're kind of, you know, the they're all talking to the real son and the real son's friends or whatever the hell they are that they were at the party. And all of them being like, no, he just freaked out. We didn't do anything. The robot just freaked out and tried to drown your kid, you know, that type of thing. But mm-hmm. instead, it, I think what it almost immediately cuts to, well, we got to dump him in the woods, right? Well, that's the thing though. It's like it, it's not we. She's bringing she, him back. Yeah, yeah. She's bring like the mother's bringing him back, and that's that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Is that like at, at that point the family's just like for all they know, they they, they he's been destroyed. Mm, yep. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And I, that's where it's like I just would have liked a little bit more like like an understanding because at no point again the father obviously understand like has made made up his mind. Oh yeah. But we don't see we don't see Martin, and I think that's an, like an element that we really should see. Yeah, I'm I'm with you absolutely. Some some type of, and I think if that was done well, it would have added to some, and maybe another sense of like, well, what does what is subjective love to different people? Where we see it's like because like you said, Martin's already warming up to David with that that small notion of they there's some sense of camaraderie because they can't go in the pool or whatever. It would have been nice to maybe use that as an addition to the, these themes and concepts. And, and you know, it's also not even like we're only seeing things through David's perspective. We've had enough scenes already where we just have, you know, the parents in the room together where we don't see David interacting with them. So it's not even like they're making the choice to be like, oh, David wouldn't, David wouldn't have seen that or something. So you're absolutely – I'm totally with you that they – it probably could have, you know – added a little bit more in the conceptual aspects that I would have really liked if they had just a little finality to that family stuff. 
Yeah, and plus, like, I would have liked to see more, like, not to get into, like, an Isaac Asimov, like, the, the rules of robotics. Sure. But, like, I would have liked to have seen, especially that we have that part in the party where, like, the kids try to slice his arm. We have the robot who, like, in the very beginning of the film gets her hand pierced. Like, I would have liked to have seen something like that being like, oh, what precautions? Mm. Like, like when the husband, like, goes off on, like, his TED talk to the wife about, like, oh, this is why this thing is a benefit to us, not yeah. a detriment. I would have liked it a little bit there. Being like, oh, no, like, it doesn't do that. Like, it goes into, like, lockdown mode. Like, it doesn't, like, it's not, it's not aggressive when it's threatened. And I would have liked to have seen it just going into, like, lockdown mode and it just kind of dragging somebody with it. Like, sure, literally. sure. And maybe the film does that by showing, not telling. But at the same time, though, like you, you can't like the mother character, like it's the idea of unconditional love. And this is kind of a thesis, like kind of like a very blatant, unspoken thesis of the film is like much as like a contradiction that is, is that like like in it's the beginning of the film where the woman's like, you can teach a robot how to love, but can you teach a human to love a robot? Yes, yes. And that's the thing is that, but like, as I'm watching this, I'm like, how many people throughout their lives love an inanimate object? Yeah, yeah, like a, like a teddy bear or anything like like teddy, like like no pun intended, a teddy bear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think the fact that our Geppetto character, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, Jiminy Cricket character is a teddy bear, yep. is not an accident, considering so many people go throughout their whole lives loving an inanimate object. Yeah, a hundred percent, and that that you're absolutely right. That gets at the idea of you know, is love well defined? What is love type of thing? Because I think everybody can relate to that. You can love an inanimate object. You can love somebody on a screen type of thing. It's it's so weird and undefined that you know that it's ambiguous. There's no answer to it, and the movie gets at it great. And I'm totally with you. I love the fact that you know Teddy is a teddy bear um, with the least appealing voice ever. <laughs> Yes. And it's it's a wonderful concept to add to this movie that you know Teddy Bear uh, Teddy is just kind of like well I'm I'm with David like I'm he doesn't really say he needs to protect David he's just kind of always wants to be with him um and like I said earlier when they get stuck under the water for 2000 years I definitely get the sense that Teddy's like well damn it <laughs> <laughs> He ain't exactly thrilled. Yeah, I, I love that line when he's like, "What the um the Ferris wheel falls on him, it crushes the amphibicopter." David's just focused in on the blue fairy statue, and Teddy's like, "We are in a cage," and it's like, "Yeah, in more ways than one, Teddy." <laughs> the blue fairy's all right. What happened? I don't know. We are in a cage.
Yeah, definitely. No, like that's that's very much a, a thing that's happening. But like, I don't know. Like, there are so many. Like, this film is like takes a shotgun approach to like all the philosophy and ideas it's trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Not that the things that it focuses on are wrong. It just should have realigned them. Like, we do not need to see William Hurt being like, oh. Like I love my son. I kind of want. I get the, the mm. weird, the weird Jesus God analogy or like metaphor where it's like I lost my son, so all I wanted did was take my son's sacrifice so the world wouldn't have to suffer. And it's like, oh God. I'm glad you bring that up because that the the William Hurt return of William Hurt is probably my least favorite scene in the movie. And I, I, I like that, you know, there's a lot going on in terms of like, well, the question is simple. You know, what is love? The answers are ambiguous and numerous. And I like that the movie presents all of them, but I'm totally with you that it should have realigned them. The whole William Hurt showing up and explaining things to or explaining his view on things, maybe to David is a little weird. And I'm not fully into the dilapidated old office building in Manhattan just has packaged living doll children. It's what, David and Darlene? That was where I was like, what is this movie doing right now? That's the part of the movie where I was like, am I really on board with this? Is it, that's the one instance where I was like, is it really throwing too much at us? I don't think so in the long run after I thought about it more, but that was the one scene where I was like, "Mm, this might not click with the rest of it for me. So realignment, like you said, is a really good phrase for it. Yeah, definitely, because like that just feels like it's not that it's superfluous, but it just kind of like it, it undermines a little bit of the ending being like, oh, David, yes, he's the what the missing link. Yeah. But at the same time, too, he was going to be exploited. Yes. Like absolutely. there was not like it's like, oh, OK, like was he unique? Like we don't know. And again, I get it. Spielberg's trying to be ambiguous with a lot of this and he's throwing up a lot of just multiple targets so we intentionally get disoriented and we don't mm-hmm. focus too much on one thing yeah but at the same time too that like you do want to make like you do want to again you want to focus absolutely and it, it's also i kind of weird i think the connective tissue there is that you know a little strange because william hurt shows up explains some stuff to david david sees all the other copies william hurts like listen i'm gonna go get all my executives just don't jump off the building basically he just leaves david alone for a little bit so he can jump off the building and i'm just like eh, that might not be the best connective tissue but i'm kind of happy that the movie moves on from the whole executive ceo's business aspect of it again um, I don't know. Maybe it would have been interesting if we see more of where it goes, but I'm not sure. I like that it goes to the, um, you know, uh, make me a real boy. We're in a cage and then future stuff. Yeah. It's also I found it very funny. The shot where um, David shows up to the office building, sees other David, whacks his head open and like beats up the other robot David. And he starts screaming, you know, the um, the quote I used to be, I'm David, I'm David, I'm David. And Jude Law and Teddy just kind of back out of the room. <laughs> I found that pretty pretty comical, where Jude Law's like, he's working some stuff out, we're gonna let him deal with it on his own terms. <laughs> pretty much. Like, that, and that's the thing, though, is that, like, that's, not that that's an unnecessary scene, but, like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just would've liked more of a baseline as to what yeah. David is, what to, what we're to expect from him. Other yeah. than, like, no, like, like, he'll pass for human. It's like, well, what does that mean? It's like, well, eh. It will mean whatever it means in the moment. I feel uh, – yeah, totally. I'm with you, and I feel that I, – I took more from that scene on watching it that he's 
uh, upset about the other David robots because he thinks he's he's human or wants to be a real boy, wants to be human, so he is unique like other humans. I think the movie would have done better to to illustrate, and I think what it was going for, it just didn't execute it fully for me, is that it's going for, he doesn't want there to be other Davids because then they're going to be vying for his mother's love. That's what I think the movie should is going for and should have went for harder to make it explicit that he's like, I'm David, I'm special, I'm unique, I get my mother's love. But it came across more to me as he's like, no, I can be the only David real boy. And it's, he might be thinking that, but it is towards the mother's love. It's not because he knows that humans are unique instances of, you know, random DNA events and things like that. That's why I think that scene doesn't work as well for me. Yeah. I, I know, I, and that's the thing. Though. Like, does it all boil down to the love of the mother? Yes, but at the same time, though, it's like we're seeing him behave in a way that's uncharacteristic for him. Yes, a hundred percent, absolutely, yeah. And and that's that's the where, like I said, it doesn't click for me because I thought the movie was starting to turn into well, David wants to be a real boy, and he's understanding that you know humans are unique in some sense, but but that's not what this whole movie's been about. Uh, but I, you know, like I said, they should have hit it harder, I think, or made it more explicit that it's like, you know, I nobody else can take my mother's love. We're imprinted on together. Is it she imprints on him or he imprints on her? Do you remember what they say um, in the movie? I think he imprints on her. He That's imp- like, by, by her by her initiating the process. He imprints on he her. Imprints okay. On, okay. Yes. Okay. Do or however you want to phrase it. She imp- by by initiating process, she like she, again. He yeah. You know. Yeah. What I, mean. I, I, think yeah I know. I just don't remember which order or orientation the movie posits it in a quick a quick tangent could you only think of the end of the twilight saga when they talked about imprinting do you i think everybody knows the end of the twilight saga is that the werewolf basically calls dibs on the baby and says i'm gonna love this baby when it grows up and they use the term imprinting and so when she's like i'm gonna imprint on david or whatever i'm just like I've never seen the Twilight movies, but does it end with the werewolf saying Cirrus, Socrates, Particle, Decibel, Hurricane, Dolphin, Tulip to the baby? <laughs> God damn it, Rob. God damn it, Rob. <laughs> I, I could only think of that. I think if anybody knows anything about Twilight, it's the fact that she doesn't end up with the werewolf. She has a baby with the vampire, and then the werewolf's like, yeah, I'm going to fuck that baby one day. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I guess much. I guess I should try this real quick, Zach. So just just clear your mind. Cirrus, Socrates, particle, decibel, hurricane, dolphin, tulip, Rob, Zach, Rob. Love me, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it either worked on you or it worked on someone in our audience who also has I'm, the name Zach. <laughs> I'm going to go to Rob's apartment and cut his hair while he's sleeping. <laughs> Because I love him. That would be insane if you popped up in the middle of the night with scissors near my head. <laughs> I'll just give you. Next time I get a haircut, I'll just give you some of my hair, Zach. You don't have to take it while I sleep. <laughs> don't do me any favors, Rob. Don't do me any favors. <laughs> That's going to be the next thing you get in the mail, some of my hair. <laughs> Lucky me. Oh, man. No, but yeah, the, the imprinting stuff and that that William Hurt scene is a, is definitely the strangest part of the movie. But I mean, I think it doesn't linger on it too long. To its, you know, 
which is a good thing in the movie, absolutely. For as long as this movie is, I'm glad it doesn't linger too much on the William Hurt or that doesn't become the focus of the ending, that it does move on to that such beautiful, amazing ending that it does, which I give it props for, absolutely. Maybe if I watch this again and I looked at it, you know, after thinking about it more and kind of knowing it as a whole, because it really was almost like watching it for a first time on this viewing, maybe I would appreciate that stuff more, but on watching, I was just like, what is it really going for here? But it, it's not breaking, which I think everybody understands. It doesn't, like, ruin the movie or anything like that. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. It's something, it's something else, man. This, this blows me away. Even talking about it now and explaining it, it blows me away that I like this movie so much. <laughs> it's an odd movie, man. It's yeah, a very yeah. – it, it's a peculiar movie that shouldn't be likable for a whole host of reasons. That's, like, that's a great way to put it, is that it, this movie is so bonkers and all over the place – that it's almost baffling. Aside from the love and robot aspects of it, this is almost so strange that it, it, like I said earlier, I don't think any movie will ever, like, exist like this again. Or maybe in other terms, this would not get made today. Like, period. Oh, 100%. 100%. Which is so weird to think about, that this was like a a 2001 Spielberg movie, turn of the century, and it's it's just crazy. It's so weird. I mean, and there's even, like, crazy stuff in here you know the some of the juxtaposition of you know say um when we get the the whole scrap pile being dumped out and all the robots going to grab from it you have like this weird imagery of robots looking for replacement parts or part you know parts to put on them compared with the nanny robot finds david and the nanny robot's so comforting and gentle it doesn't fit with the scene um like it's all so weird mad eye moody has a moon balloon there's a moon yeah. balloon in this movie. There's a moon balloon. <laughs> and and it's such a weird it's the imagery is so strange when like the moon this giant moon is cresting over this hill like silhouetting Jude Law's Gigolo Joe and then before we even see that like there's a it's a balloon and there's like a container and, and Mad Eye Moody's connected to it all the robots are like we got to run it's the moon and I'm just like oh okay I guess it's it's so strange. But, I mean, there's a certain point where Teddy falls from the moon balloon and lands and goes, ow, and then walks away, and that's very funny. It's it's the one of the craziest things I've seen in a while, Zach. <laughs> but I think I, I don't mind the fantastic nature because we haven't talked about a lot of that of it. Like, Rouge City is, like, almost entirely CGI and very, yes. very yes. erotic. And then, like, you also have, like, the stuff from, like, the the first act of the film where, like, clearly it feels like future house set number seven. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And then then you have, like, where, like, it feels, like, oddly contemporary, but then they have, like, these really peculiar-looking cars where you're just like, what is going on right now? Like, they're just so, like, goofy. Yeah, absolutely. I think, are they, if I remember correctly, is it three, they're like tricycle cars, like three wheels? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's like two wheels in the front. In the front, in the back. yes, yes, absolutely. It's like the cat in the hat slow. Oh, remember yeah. remember the slow rod. That's Same design. I, absolutely. That's what, I couldn't place it. I'm like, when I was watching it, I was like, I think I've seen this before. And I was thinking of like, I thought it might have been the Minority Report cars, but that's not it. I think those are just, those are four wheel cars, but they do vertical and different orientations and stuff you are absolutely right it's the slow from cat in the hat a hundred percent it's the slow rob it's the slow oh man that's great who would have thought we're making that reference in this? <laughs> that's wonderful <laughs> yeah there's a lot of like i mean that's the other thing is you know when the movie doesn't set it up at all like we mentioned earlier with um when monica drops him off in the woods she's like 
Don't go that way. Go any other way than that way. Don't go that way because there's flush fares. And it's like, okay, that's a new term. And they do it again later on when one character is like, well, time to get in the amphibicopter. And I'm like, what the fuck is an amphibicopter? <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, there's no ground laying. Like, there should be a couple of points. Like, I know, wasn't it at one point he even says, like, Mommy didn't teach me a lot about the world? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. And there needs to be more of that, though. Like, there should have been some very, very thin groundwork being laid. Absolutely, yeah. Or at least put it in groundwork where the, the example where I think they, they don't need to give groundwork, but it works, is when they say, like, oh, we have – Jude Law says something like – well, we have to go here. It's called that's why it's called Manhattan type of thing. And it's like, well, yeah, everybody's familiar with Manhattan, and so you know we're they're playing on the man aspect of it. Sure, no problem there. But I mean, like, and of course, amphibicopter. You can gather what that is once you hear it and think about it for a little bit. But the movie doesn't give you time to do that. I think. I think no. doesn't even Ben Kingsley say amphib. The narrator says, or one of the aliens says amphibicopter <laughs> yeah, at a certain point, yeah, and it's just yeah. like this is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> It is. It's odd. It's it's peculiar. The whole it's, David, uh, the whole Ben Kingsley talking to David as the um, as one of the um, ancient beings or uh, advanced beings, and it's like the whole exposition dump of the space time continuum stuff is just like we're doing this. Like you said earlier, it's so weird to have that in the last fifteen, ten, fifteen minutes of the movie. But it's like no, we're we're doing this. We still got a bunch of gas left in the tank in this film. <laughs> No, it's true. No, it is true. It is, yeah. It's it's genuinely uh, goofy. It like I, it's yeah. Like, like there's a lot of stuff that's goofy, yet somehow it still sticks that landing. Yeah, it's it's bonkers that it does that. And I think that's the thing that makes it so like inexplicable. Like it's just like I don't know how. Like it, it must be that just Spielberg magic. It it really it it works almost. It's it's baffling. It's bonkers that it happens. It's baffling that it happens. It's kind of amazing too. <laughs> yeah, I I do have to say when I thought they were aliens in the it, while I was viewing this, I didn't like that the they have a slight amount of facial features. Like I feel like when you're watching the these beings talk, I th I think I read I didn't write it down, but I think I read that they're credited as specialists. That's what they're they're called. Uh, ben Kingsley is specialist or something like that. I didn't like that they had slight facial features. Like, when you see them talking, you can see, like, kind of a mouth and eyes slightly light up. I was like, nah, I want them to be just light cloud things. Because they, they basically are just, like, you know, the cosmos wrapped into a humanoid figure. Once I read that they're advanced AI, they're, like, the extension of David and modeled after, of course, because we model our robots after humans, and they look like humans and stuff like that, at least in this universe— I kind, I'm kind of okay that they have a little slight facial features. Like, maybe they've evolved. They wouldn't get rid of it completely. It'd be like a, a vestigial feature of days past. So I'm kind of fine with it. But still, I never thought they were advanced AI when I watched this movie. Nah. I was like, aliens, sure. And I mean, I might also be biased by the It's Such a Beautiful Day ending where they are aliens. Um, they're definitely not evolution of anything. But it's, like we said earlier, it's, it's almost irrelevant what they are. They are just higher beings Regardless of what they are, they're just advanced in some way to David, and they look at him as, like you said, the missing link is the best way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they I, got the I, dopest I, ships ever. That ship is so cool. <laughs> yes, Rob likes that. Uh, no, like I said, I, I don't mind. There's a lot of things that like I don't mind. Because like, I think like we've kind of delved into it enough where like if you want to nitpick this, this movie has no shortage of that. Yeah, yeah. But the same – 
But like that's the thing though. Something like that, like I'm fine with. Like I think all you need to know is that they're higher beings. Yeah, I think whether yeah. like we talked about earlier, whether it be aliens, AI, higher beings is all you need to know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think a, a question that I had for you is, um, well, uh, I I did some research into this. I think this is one of the movies that I was so like fundamentally drawn into. The, this movie and the questions it posed that I didn't do as much of like the background research as I as I sometimes do. Where if the movie's more boring, I want to look into stuff like that. Do oh, well, of course, as we mentioned earlier, this movie kind of gets the the kickstart because Kubrick dies, and this is kind of I guess Spielberg's you know almost um, not homage to Kubrick, but it's kind of like his dedication after Kubrick's death. Mm-hmm. Do do you think? Kubrick would have eventually made this movie if the Illuminati didn't kill him? Or do you think he would have just stuck with the the technology is never there to make the David character? Do you think that this movie only gets made because we get Spielberg finding Haley Joel Osment and getting such a performance? Do you, I, I, do you have any thoughts on do you think Kubrick would have ever, you know, relented in some way to actually make this movie? Or he would have just always kept it on the back burner and eventually, if you know, in a different timeline, Kubrick would have died from whatever other reason the Illuminati gets him eventually or natural causes, who knows. And we just get to read about, you know, or see YouTube videos of like the project that never came to fruition from Kubrick. What do you think? I think based on the fact from what we're told that he relinquished this to Spielberg willingly, I think he want, I think he wanted to collaborate with Spielberg and this was probably the best vehicle to do it. Okay. Um, I don't think he ever would have directed this. I don't know. I, I I think I think Kubrick was such an enigma of a personality. Yeah. Well, we will never know for certain. <laughs> but uh, but I think that's the best way to leave it. I think he. Re- I don't think he would have made it. Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. That's a good point. That you know you read about how. Um, and and it is. I I have read about it. The the Wikipedia page is a little contradictory in this information, but it seems like other sources say around 1995 Kubrick wants approaches Spielberg. There's like 85 and 95 on the Wikipedia page. So it is contradictory, but I think regardless of the actual date, knowing that, you know, while Kubrick was alive, he approached Spielberg and says that thing, or at least what we think from Spielberg that, you know, this fits your sensibilities more that he would have wanted to hand it over. Would this movie have been different if it was made while Kubrick was alive and he had more of a hand in it? I'm sure. But I, I, it's kind of the weird thing that this might be kind of like the final Kubrick work in to some extent. Of course, you know, Eyes Wide Shut is his last directorial thing. But I also seeing Kubrick's films or a lot of them, you know, and thinking of the ones that are really famous and that I really like, I can kind of see some of the Kubrick fingerprints on this with kind of this emotional like distress and ennui, like with The Shining, like with 2001, and I think with um, you know, the the emotional romantic love versus, you know, physical love in Eyes Wide Shut as well. So it is really cool, I think, to think of this as kind of a Kubrick project, even though, of course, he's dead by the time this gets made and comes out. But it's interesting nonetheless. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting thought study. That's for sure. But I I don't know. I think I I would love a behind-the-scenes on this from, like, the the Kubrick era, and I think that's never really going to happen unless, like, we invest in, like, probably, like, $500 in, like, research text yeah like i just like yeah like that seems to be the issue there's a lot of apparently history on this based on like the copious amount of like research kubrick always did before he went into, like even god pre-production on anything mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and i think that's just like i think it exists it's just a matter of just finding it in yep. the right like text yeah yeah 
Yeah, th- this is one of the things where I feel like, you know, there's some movies that we've covered on this whole podcast, and especially in the Fort Year, where the the Wikipedia page is huge. Like, I think The Mummy is a really good example of that. That's a very long Wikipedia page. Like, I had a lot of, like, sources to dive into and stuff like that. This one was surprisingly short. For a Spielberg film that's so weird, like we've described, for it being Kubrick involved, it was a lot less informative than I expected, but it makes exact sense with what you said, where it's the information isn't as available as some other things. It is kind of hidden in this um this almost Kubrickian fashion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, this like even like okay, so I want to delve into the box office before we do that real quick. Like I, again, it wouldn't be a proper uh, cinematic discussion unless we have merchandise spotlight. <laughs> did you see that they made Teddy plushes? Yes, I did. But they <laughs> never got released in the U.S. They were solely like international items. Yeah, that was that was pretty ridiculous when I was reading about that. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, sh- sure. Maybe this was so unnerving that they they had some there was some decision or that fact in their decision. But that was weird when I was reading about it. <laughs> but that's like what I find interesting. It's like, why not? Like, it's it's a teddy yeah. bear. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And also, there's nothing inherently other than the voice, which I think is very you know monotone and not really soothing what you think of as like a kid's teddy bear there's nothing unnerving about teddy itself it does move a little strangely but Mm -hmm. the movie specifies you know very explicitly that teddy is older robot technology Mm -hmm. so it makes sense that it might move a little weird it might not have the most calming voice but just as just a design of a teddy bear it's not bad right no, yeah, but like I said, just it's inter- interesting that there was an idea to merchandise this film. Yeah. <laughs> it was made by a popular brand. It was a Hasbro toy. Oh. It wasn't exactly like some offshoot, like like what? Okay, yeah. okay, wow, okay, yeah, the, I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, um, would I have gotten one? Probably not. Would I want one now? Probably not. Absolutely. Um, uh, sure. I well, I still I've got have... one then. Probably not. Do I want one now? <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Do they go for $200 on eBay now? Unfortunately. Mm, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, would I, for a merchandise spotlight that probably doesn't exist, and I, I'm, I'm very certain it doesn't exist, uh, would I buy an action figure set of a flesh fair? A hundred percent. Little cannon to shoot a Chris Rock robot out of? Oh my god. I'd set that up in my living room for people to play with when they came over. <laughs> God damn it, Rob! Like, but I think though, like, I'm so surprised. Like, this didn't get a toy line. Like, yeah, like this. Yeah. Did, like, you could have very easily made toys out of this. So, whether Absolutely. the kids wanted them, <laughs> who knows? Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a hundred percent the thing. It's like, hey, little boy, you want the uh, the nanny robot with all the parts exposed type of thing? It's like, I don't know, that weirds me out. <laughs> but some adult collectors would be like, hell yeah, give me that type of thing. But this is the thing though, is that like they advertise this on like Cartoon Network. In like Nickelodeon. Oh, okay. That I did not know. That's this was a weird. this was a ten pole summer release. De- definitely, like, yeah, yeah. Like that's the thing is that like this wasn't like like an out of nowhere film. This was like like they tried to not that they tried to sell this as a kids film, but I think they at least attempted to market it in that direction. Okay, what was as this like rated? sci-fi action PG thirteen PG thirteen okay PG thirteen man for how scary this is this should have been a hard R. Um, <laughs> This is this. That's the other thing. Now that you mentioned that, you know, when I watched this, which I said earlier, HBO should have been late 2001, early 2002. I would have been nine. My parents let me watch this, you know, so I there was some sense. Of course, you had the opposite experience with your mom. But so I think there was some sense of, you know, oh, this can't be that bad for kids. 
even though there's a Gigolo Joe character. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That is that is a little strange. I mean, I can see why it's PG thirteen. There's definitely some disturbing imagery, um, but it definitely seems like a soft PG thirteen. And may, that also could be the thing of basically Spielberg's the reason PG thirteen exists. Also, <laughs> that as well. Yeah, that's interesting though. Yep, I, I didn't know about the the marketing for the Cartoon Network, but I could see it absolutely when you say it. Yeah. All right, Rob. The okay for AI. Had a budget of a hundred million dollars, which in okay. two thousand one was was it wasn't humongous, but it was nice size. That's a nice sure. budget for two thousand one. Yeah, and it only grossed domestically seventy eight million dollars. Really, domestically a disappointment. Wow. Okay. Internationally, it makes around a little less than a quarter of a billion dollars. So it between like rentals and like probably video and DVD sales, it got into the black. It, it, it sure. was fine. Sure. Um, but these are the films in 2001 that made more money than AI. Monkey you tell bone. me if you agree. <laughs> no, that is not one of them. There's films, on, there's films not just from the Fort Year on this list. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Number 27. Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius. Mm, of course. 26, Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Disney, I a see that. A genuine bomb. A genuine bomb. Oh, that's 25, true, yeah. Save the Last Dance. Oh, God, I haven't thought about 24, that 24, Cats and Dogs. 23, America Sweethearts. 22, Legally Blonde. 21, The Others. Number 20, when you swallow someone's cum, that means something. <laughs> 19, The Princess Diaries. 18, Black Hawk Down. 17, Spy Kids. 16, Dr. Doolittle 2. 15, Lara Croft Tomb Raider. 14, The Fast and the Furious. 13, American Pie. 12, Hannibal. 11, A Beautiful Mind. 10, Planet of the Apes. 9, Jurassic Park 3. Eight, Ocean's Eleven. Seven, Pearl Harbor. Six, The Mummy Returns. Five, Rush Hour Two. Four, Monsters, Inc. Three, Shrek. Two, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Mm. And numero uno, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Yep, yep. Oh, wow. You know what the most fascinating thing is? Is there's only four million dollars separating Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. Yeah, I know. I remember it took until... Uh, Lord of the Rings, The Twin Towers, and then three to really, for that series uh, franchise to be huge. Harry Potter, of course, was big before the movie, and that added to the movie. I'm surprised to hear, which I'm sure we'll talk about more later in the fort year, that Planet of the Apes was that high for how much hate that movie gets these days. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's fascinating. <laughs> It is. It's it's the it's considered and again, we'll delve into this definitely in a couple of weeks. But it's like one of the most successful films ever made not to get like a sequel. Like I like a continuity. Oh, wow, sequel. okay, okay. Yeah, I did not I I knew this movie didn't do that well from the little research I did. I didn't know it was that far down on the list though. Twenty yep. what, it was twenty eight, you started twenty seven, right? Yep, twenty eighth highest grossing film. That this is a film that was more or less discarded. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's crazy. I don't think anybody hated it. It was just discarded. Man, okay. Interesting. That's this is this is just bonkers. Everything about this might be bonkers. <laughs> At the same time, too, $78 million in 2001 for an esoteric science fiction film questioning like the existence of like like love amongst like inanimate objects. Yeah. Ain't exactly horrible either. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a good point, too. Like we'll we'll definitely talk about this like when it comes to like cinemati and late night status, 
But like, is there any like and we've asked this question numerous times during the four year. Is there any like reality or even like year where this like it's like this is not really a film that's ahead of its time. Um I, I just don't think there's any movie where this film like, like kind of really, really resonates. Yeah, I would I would agree. The thing that pops into my head is would this have done better in a pre-Matrix world rather than a post-Matrix world? Because I feel like the Matrix is so popular and so groundbreaking that it shapes what people think of and expect from movies about robots. But still, in the mid-90s, or maybe even closer to 99 before the Matrix, I don't think this lands any better than in 2001. Ah, that's a tough That's a tough question, though. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I don't. I don't think this is, this is a movie that it might do marginally better somewhere at some other time, but like not. You're never having this like breakout like at a Matrix level. Yeah, this, this is yeah. this film is never breaking out. It, it's gonna be niche at best. If it's any earlier than even the mid '90s, I think it might draw more. The flesh fair stuff might even draw more comparisons to Blade Runner with stopping the replicants. But even then, it's still a little far from Blade Runner to maybe even think that. But I don't know, I this is the thing, I think the reason that I love this movie so much is because it's presenting robots in such a different way that I'm okay with it, but even, even before The Matrix, I feel like the concept of machinery, robots, and artificial intelligence in cinema is so well-defined that this movie is never going to find a home type of thing. That you have mm. your replicants being, oh, we got to take them out. You have even your um your your alien franchise showing the like the site like your Ian Home and your your Bishop from Aliens that's already fleshing out how people think about robots and artificial intelligence. And this is so different from that that it's never going to fully land in I think the way that Anybody like Spielberg or Kubrick would have wanted or intended, I guess. Uh, it's it's weird, but like I said, that's why I enjoy this movie. It's presenting it in a different, refreshing way that we fall back on after this movie, you know, gets discarded, like you said, with our current age of you know ex machina and stuff like that. And I even think, you know, speaking of the Matrix. I think the Matrix sequels kind of get discarded for the same reason, where you get, like, the whole Matrix reloaded, the whole idea of, oh, there were different versions of the Matrix, and some of them were nightmare matrix matrices, and that's where we got the Merovingian from, and nobody can track that shit. And people are just like, nope, I want machines bad, people good. <laughs> Speaking of the Matrix, have you heard this new thing that, like, apparently... The first Matrix film, like ever since like its DVD release or like since it left theaters, was incorrectly color graded. And like pretty much every single time we've watched that film since theaters, it's been like overly green tinted. What? And now like the mo the most corrected version of it is the 4K Blu-ray now. I have not heard this, but I remember when I I watched The Matrix fairly recently back when we did our Tron episode. I remember like I think like maybe a week before we recorded our Tron episode, I'd watched the first Matrix. And I remember – I think I watched it on HBO Max, and I remember thinking, like, this is a very green movie, and I just was okay with it because I thought that was the aesthetic because of the digital rain is green. That's really interesting. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, I was reading about that. Like, I was, like, reading them, like, 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 oh, like, you like, you can finally watch The Matrix the way it was intended for the first time in, like, 20-plus years. I'm like, what? I'm like, The Matrix is green. It's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. green. Like, yeah. like, when you think of The Matrix, all you can think of is the color green. Yeah. And it's like, nope. It's like, like someone did a comparison of, like, like the DVD – like the, like the Blu-ray master and then like the 4K and they're like yeah this is like 
how it was intended. Like it's just been like, like pretty much no one's really noticed because it's like it's the Matrix, it's mm. green, yep. and yep. no one's really known that. Like wow. it's been like pretty much like erroneously color timed for like twenty years. Damn. Uh, yeah, I, I had not heard about that. That's crazy. Um, that that's absolutely insane. Matrix just, is great though. I mean, maybe it, that's maybe we, I've hit on something. That's why I love the second and third Matrix so much. Is the same reason I love this movie. They're presenting machines in a unique way. Like, but at the same time, you know, this movie is very like this robot. David has this this love receiver and giver factor that's very interesting. People maybe discard that. I feel like it's the same thing because the beginning of the third Matrix are these two programs. Are like these two programs had a baby and they made a program with no purpose, so we're all stuck in weird subway station limbo. And people are like. What the fuck is going on? Like, mass audiences are like, what the fuck is going on in these movies? And maybe they felt the same way about this in 2001. It was just the um, kind of precursor to what the Matrix movies or sequels were going to feel in, what, like, 2002 was the Matrix sequels or three? 2003. 2003. Yeah, maybe this was the, the stepping stone to people being like, we don't want like deep philosophical questions from our movies we want you know neo to blow people up or whatever he does in those movies <laughs> that's the thing like i'm curious on like on hbo max if it's in 4k i wonder i wonder if they have the new version okay yeah the I don't new know. color time version that's just interesting no like everyone better hope that we get that fourth matrix movie this year because that will actually be the time we finally pull, pull the trigger on doing the matrix as a series are we gonna do speed racer again no, Rob. We are going to do the Matrix. Then we're going to do Jupiter Ascending. I'm also good with doing. Then the we'll do Cloud Atlas. The Matrix movies are a very interesting discussion. But, but, ha- but we're only doing that. Like, I-, I want to talk about the Matrix really badly, but at the same time, like we're only doing that if we get the fourth film. Yeah, that's the only reason. Reason it kind of makes sense. Absolutely. <laughs> well, because I- I, again, I want because that fourth film. The rumors around that film is that it's going to be absolutely bonkers. Yes. Because the, like. Was it Lana? Lana's just like, we're going to sit there and make this more insane than Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> and I'm like, bring it. Oh, yeah. I'm all aboard. Because if, even if we if we don't get the fourth Matrix movie and I, and we eventually talked about like doing a Wachowski series, I would be totally fine with being like, okay, we'll do a Wachowski series. Let's do all the movies other than the Matrix movies. <laughs> Like Which I want to do Cloud Dude, Atlas. Well, Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Sending, and Bound. We would have to talk about Bound. Of oh course. God! Oh, Bound I guess is we have to talk about crazy. It. I've never seen it, but from what I've read, it's absolutely insane. But like, is it crazy because it's like good, or is it crazy because it's like weird? Uh, I've heard it's crazy because it's good. Um, okay. So I've heard that too, but like I just yeah, like, I've so. been I've been burned by that sort of rhetoric. I, I hear you. I hear you. Other otherwise, maybe if we don't want to pull the trigger on a full Wachowski series or the Matrix series, we just do a whole month on Cloud Atlas. We do one one week on the book. We do one week on the movie. We do one week on how we feel about the movie. <laughs> we do another week just talking about how the Wachowskis also only directed half of the movie. <laughs> yes, I have no problem with that. I I love. Like I said, the Wachowskis are up there with me, like with Tarantino, uh, uh, Nolan, in the sense of like, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it doesn't look interesting. If they have their direct fingerprints on it, I will I will give it a try. Absolutely. Like none, like none of this like produced by like BS. No, like this needs to be something that has like their fingers in it <laughs> as much as they can. You don't want to do V for Vendetta? <laughs> I, I don't have a problem with for Vendetta. I just feel like it's it's just like it's so superficial in its message. Yeah, it, I I like V for Vendetta, but more for it's an interesting 
uh, way to tell a story, but you're absolutely right. It is very, very superficial. But uh, Cloud Atlas is fucking fantastic. <laughs> that's, Nobody that's can tell I mean. me otherwise. Yeah, like I said, V for Vendetta is fine. It's just that's the thing. It's like I haven't watched that movie in a while, so I'd be interested to see what my thoughts are on it now. But uh, yeah. And let's do Speed Which Racer again. <laughs> I love Speed Racer. <laughs> here he comes. Here comes Speed Racer. He's a demon on wheels. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think this whole discussion is a is a good thing. I'm glad we got to a movie that Space Science had recommended, you know, with the with the whole Bee Boop Trash Can series. It's it's not that I hate robots. It's that robots deserve a certain amount of or a certain way to be treated that I will always stick to. But the concept of robots is not stupid. Robots are very interesting. Our artificial intelligence is very interesting. You just can't rely on the same story beats that people have come to rely on, which is the, oh, aren't they human too? Do something interesting with it, like the Matrix sequels. Even the first Matrix, I think, does interesting things with robots and artificial intelligence. Like this movie. There's a way to do robots right, and it's refreshing when we get something that does it. And I'm very yes. happy about, about that. Um, and when it does that, mass audiences reject it because yes, they're dumb. Absolutely. Um, the other movies, I just, just to get – because the other movies I don't really know – uh, that space science put in this category. So AI and ex machina, we talked about two sides of the of the spectrum. AI, great. Ex machina, boring and useless. Um, Earth to Echo. Do you know what that is? Yeah, it's a kids movie. Okay, Axel, A X E L. I don't know what that it's like is. A, it's like a, it's like a movie where the dog is like a robot. Okay, and then robots, which I know the animated movie. I think where what Robin Williams is one of the voices. Yeah, and, yeah you, you and McDonald's the main robot. Okay, I I, I saw that in theaters in two thousand five. I'm pretty sure just because they had a Star Wars Revenge of the Sith trailer in front of it. <laughs> okay, so you you meet Joe Blacked it basically. <laughs> More or less. More or less. Nice, nice. I if you remember correct, if you remember correctly from our Speed Racer discussion. The only reason why I saw Speed Racer in theaters was because I meet Joe Blackett. Yep, yep. Like absolutely. it was a win. Like it was a definite win. But like it was, I meet Joe Blackett. Yeah, that's fair. I understand, Zach. I understand. Uh, so I, I, uh, I don't know if I'll ever cover any of those other movies. I definitely, I don't think I will want ever want to talk about Ex Machina on this podcast. No. I think no, this might count happening. as our Ex Machina episode. <laughs> Um, the other ones I don't know anything about. Maybe if okay. We... Let me let me rephrase this. If somebody could actually like have an intelligent discussion with us as to why Ex Machina is clever, oh sure, I'd be I'd be open to it. Like if somebody had some really good intellectual arguments as to why this is good beyond just like the normal, just oh god, like normal platitudes of like I like this, yeah, thus good, yeah. I, that's, a, I, 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 that's a really good point that you bring up. If someone can actually have a debate with me about why I should care, because there's that scene in Ex Machina where uh, the spy finds the old video recordings in Isaac uh, Oscar Isaac's like office, and he's seeing all the earlier iterations of the Alicia Vikander robot, and how basically Oscar Isaac's is like building sent building sentient, as the movie wants to put it, building artificial intelligence, tearing it down. And the movie wants us to feel bad for these robots, and and the spy feels bad for these robots. And I think there's even a line where he's like, Oscar Isaacs, you're killing them, basically. If anybody can actually tell me why I should care about that or debate me, please, we welcome that. Because as far as I'm concerned, the the emotional climax of the movie is that scene, and I'm like, no, 
Who gives a fuck? He built them. He can destroy them. He can fuck them for all I care. They're his property. If you can explain to me why that might not be the way to feel about these robots, we welcome that challenge. (laughs) Oh, Rob, you jokester, you. Uh, The other ones, I have no idea. I don't think there's a reason we'd ever discuss robots. Uh, an excellent Earth to Echo. I don't know anything about. (laughs) Earth to Echo was like it. What if I remember my history correctly? It was a Disney like produced movie, and then like they like, they got the final product, and they're like, "Fuck that!" And they <laughs> sold it. They sold it off. Okay. Um. Again, if I remember correctly, and Axel is just like, uh, oh god, dog movie, dog robot movie. Sure, sure. And that's so I imagine. Like... You can, I, I would imagine you and I could probably guess the plot of that. Yeah, just, I was just about by to making say, like generic say, guesses. I was about to say I don't think that's anything we need in our lives. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of those things. It's like, eh. It's like, it's like, like, could you watch that? Like, it's something you kind of put on TV, like it's in second grade, just like to buy time until ah, like class is over. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, I think the last thing I want to say about AI is uh, that when I was um, watching the credits and, and absorbing what just happened to me after seven thousand minutes. I did notice, interestingly, I thought it was weird, not weird, maybe interesting is the right word, that the credits are separated by sequence. Like, there is a section of the credits where it's like Flesh Fair, and then it lists the actors in the Flesh Fair, and like Rouge City, and lists the actors there, which was a little strange, I thought. But in the Flesh Fair part of the credits, it starts with Brendan Gleeson, of course, and I think labels all the main people. But in there, in that block of credits, I saw that there is a character called Child Singer. Did not notice it at all. And it's it's distinctively different from the little girl that finds David in the cage. That's credited as something else, like as like a fair owner's daughter or something like that. But Child Singer is in there, and it's played by DeVay Chase, who we know and love as oh, the voice of Chihiro from Spirited Away, Zach. Yes, she's also Lilo, but she's Chihiro the from the, the English ring. dub the of Spirited she's Away. She's the ring. But I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Devay Chase was in this, and like probably the while she was performing this, she was also getting ready to do the voice acting for the English dub of Spirited Away, or maybe a few months before it. But I was like, oh, that's pretty neat. Also, I guess to point out, uh, you can't tell that they're the same voice actor because Haley Joel Osment's so good in this movie, but this was about, I think, eight or nine months when they were filming this would have been it would have been eight about about eight or nine months before Haley Joel Osment goes on to do the voice acting for Sora in Kingdom Hearts, which is really mm. interesting to think about how young Haley Joel Osment was when he did the the voice acting for a video game, which is just a testament to, like I said earlier, he might be my favorite child actor ever. <laughs> yeah, I the more you know. Yep, yep. So, anything else you have about AI, Zach, or are you ready for? our questions and i also questions. think uh we sh- we should one day hope we get a one the steak sauce story story right <laughs> exactly Rob. okay well i uh, i guess for cinemas and late night because uh, i'm baffled just as anybody else probably is i, I am going yes to cinemodities this movie's all over the place has so much going on it's absolutely fucking crazy i i think it fits the bill and late night definitely one of the things i've always said about late night is you know if if I want something from a late night movie. It's to spark discussion about something. And goddamn, this movie is basically like the one of the best movies to start discussion about the good questions about robots and artificial intelligence. Because I, I have strong feelings about it. I think other people have strong feelings about it. They're wildly interesting. They're important to discuss. This movie is just, it's a yes to cinema. It's definitely the late night. It fits the bill. I 
I think I'm going to watch this again eventually. I'm not saying like, you know, tonight or very soon because it's so fucking long and it's unnerving. But man, it's it's in there. I think this deserves a spot in the catalog. And I'm I'm so glad we covered it, Zach. This is one of those things where it's like, damn, I don't know if we ever would have gotten to it if it weren't for the Fort Year or Space Science requesting it. But I'm so glad we did. So what do you think about our, our cinemodities in late night? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. It's a cinemati. Late night, I actually – it wasn't that late at night, but it was evening, and I tried it out, and it worked. Okay, yeah. Um, it, yeah. It, it is uh, field-tested, so it's going to be a yes. <laughs> yeah, I get any movie that's this cathartic is also pretty good for a late-night movie, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I think – like I said, it's one of those things where, like, I don't know, like, if it's – if it's tested and it gets a response, like, I don't know, like, is there such thing as, like, testing a late night movie out and it doesn't work? I, I guess, like, something doesn't work, but this, I, I don't know. I, 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 that's interesting. Like, it just like, does a late night movie field test go successfully? Does it automatically make it a late night movie? Mm, that's an, that's an interesting question. That's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. I feel like maybe we would need more than one uh, data point of a field test. Sure. Uh, maybe we need like a, a late night movie screen test or something like that. <laughs> I guess it's kind of like almost like, like can a late. I guess if it's boilerplate, like if you show somebody, I don't know. I guess I would go back to Cinemati. I guess something I think we've talked about it, like what? It's like a two tier like test. Like it has to be like what a double positive before it gets in. Sure. In a weird sure. way, like like you wouldn't really show someone something if it's not a Cinemati. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. No, no. We got to refine this a little yeah, more. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Absolutely. It's still <laughs> three years later. It's still a work in progress. They're still refining it. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, speaking of refining things, something we are constantly refining and improving is the restaurant. So Damn straight. I have to I have to say right off the bat, uh, one of my pitches for the restaurant, I have I have chosen not to include a flesh fair. Mm. My reasoning for this is because. I don't think this should be something that I want to pitch for the restaurant. This is something that later in my life, maybe in a few years, I am going to actively lobby in U.S. government for. <laughs> so I want to save it for that. I want to be able to go. And I was thinking, of course, maybe we set it up in the restaurant as a field test so I can go to the government later on and lobby for it. But I think the restaurant is too crazy and stuff to use that as like – like I can't eventually go to like my congressman or something and be like, listen – I want to blow up robots for fun. It's going to be like NASCAR, but we're blowing up robots. Check it out in this infinite void restaurant where people are actively getting trapped and killed. That might not be the best pitch. So I want to keep the flesh fair for me, maybe in a better, more politician welcoming environment later on. So th I just want to make that clear that when I when I I have a reason for not pitching the flesh fair for the restaurant, it's for long-term goals of actively making the flesh fair a a public service, a human right, a my duty to the world type of thing. Just so everybody knows. Are you okay with that, Zach? Were you dying for I a have... flesh fair in the restaurant? <laughs> uh I don't know. I think it's a good way to kind of to get rid of some like I think we should like, okay. One thing I didn't mention about this movie that I thought was like goofy, as like they they have like the little thing that they're pouring what the the acid on the robots. Oh yeah, to yeah. like melt them. I like how they're pouring it from one bucket into another bucket. 
Why not just take the empty <laughs> bucket and replace it with the full bucket? I don't know, but for some reason they feel they have to pour it from one That's... identical bucket into another identical bucket. It's like, okay. Yeah. I'm glad it's you, like, whatever. When, you remind whatever. me of it. When I saw that in the movie, it made me think of one of those um, things at like a water park where it's like, you know, there's there's like streams of water that like go through channels to fill up the big bucket that eventually tips over or something like yeah. that. Like it is solely not for efficiency or convenience. It is solely for entertainment. <laughs> so I think that's what we should do with the restaurant. Like instead of like like we ha- like oh god, when it comes to like condiment dispensers, like maybe like we have like the ketchup bottle, the mustard bottle, instead of just like refilling it from a like centralized thing, we just make we basically make our people go out there with like the exact same thing and just pour it into an identical like receptacle. <laughs> okay, okay, I can get behind that. <laughs> Deliberate inefficiency. Yeah, that's that's a uh, that almost sounds like it could be one of our mottos for the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. So so flesh fairs. I want everybody to understand. I love them. I think they're. I think they might be my calling in life. Uh, but but not for the restaurant. We have to do this right. Okay, we have to do this the right way. And we'll see how it works. Maybe we'll we'll start small. Maybe it'll be like we'll blow up your old toaster that doesn't work anymore. Uh, things like that. And we'll eventually move on to robots. Blow, but we'll get blow, there. Blow up your box locked animatronic. Yeah. And also on that thought, I was thinking while I was doing my snacks and stuff, thinking of my snacks for this uh, this movie and this episode. We do have the Blade Runner in the restaurant, right? That's taking out yes. the animatronics. So we do have a way to get rid of robots in the restaurant already. So I don't think we need the the spectacle of it because I think uh, the the Harrison Ford that we have running around killing robots is a spectacle enough at this point. <laughs> Just chasing that damn box Lux animatronic. <laughs> Uh, what, so I guess I should say one of my snacks that I had, I wrote down and then I had to retroactively, I guess, uh, take off because I read more about it. One of my snacks was legitimately just, I wrote down, let's eat those aliens from the end. (laughs) (laughs) But then I had to write, apparently they're not aliens and we shouldn't eat robots. So if they were aliens, if they were organic in some way, I'd be all about, Hey, let's slice them up and eat a slice of what looks like the cosmos. But I don't think we can do that with what they actually are in the the restaurant restaurant so i had to cross that one off what i what i did like is uh i i think both of us are gonna are gonna draw from this um the 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 spinach scene i wanted to include what i think we would call stroke spinach which is spinach that causes people to have strokes (laughs) (laughs) like whatever we would do i don't know maybe we need to find the right cocktail of like poison to to actually like you know we cook spinach in this cocktail of like I don't know maybe it's like some parts arsenic some parts rat poison who knows but it causes people to have strokes. <laughs> That's intriguing. I like the okay going back to your original snack idea of eating the robe the the aliens. Yeah, I like the idea of having a nullified restaurant snack or meal. Oh sure sure I I mean I had to I couldn't you know we we can't say we eat the aliens from the end we know they're definitively not aliens right. <laughs> Fair, but I still like the idea of having a nullified snack. Yeah. So do you think that would be like it's on the menu but crossed out or something? Yes, yes. Ah, okay, that's really cool where it's like in some restaurants maybe they have a menu where – No longer available. No longer available or sold out or something like that. This would basically be like, you know, it's crossed out. Our version of that. Yeah, okay, no, I dig that. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, okay, no, that's a really cool idea. Um, But I like the spinach. We would call it stroke spinach. Um, and also along the, the lines of David not being able to eat or the robots not being able to eat, 
not not physically that they can't eat because they get problems, but just I feel like there's certain things in in the movie, like what there's the dinner scene where he's he's sitting at the dinner table with no you know food in front of him. He's watching the parents eat, and he's kind of mimicking the actions of the parents eating. I think that we should give our wait staff permission to tell customers that they don't like. Like, let's say they have a, a particularly difficult customer or difficult table, things like that. They go over and, you know, the, the customers are being assholes to them or whatever, and the customers try and order. In these circumstances, we give the waitstaff permission to say to the customer, you are a robot and you cannot eat and you refuse them service. Like, you just steadfastly tell the customers that they're meccas and they can't eat food, otherwise they'll break, and we refuse them service. I think that's a good way to deal with some unruly customers. What do you think? That's an interesting idea. I guess that... <laughs> I also like the kind of the the consequence of that might be someone leaves a Yelp review for our restaurant that says the waiter called me a robot and refused service. <laughs> One star. <laughs> uh, the only other snack I had came from I think it's a scene pretty close to when the real kid comes back and the real kid is like in a wheelchair slash those leg braces, um, and we see the mom and David like getting his medicine ready and we see a lazy Susan of pills basically. <laughs> and I would love for when we host party parties or we cater things. Cause I'm pretty sure we talked about how we might host like a party or something in the restaurant. Um, one of our options for catering would be a lazy Susan of pills. Do you remember hearing those those news stories from like probably back when we were maybe middle school or high school where like the media was, was touting this thing that like, Kids these days are having pill parties where they all bring their prescription medications from their parents' medicine cabinets, and they just dump them out into a bowl, and they just take handfuls and eat them like Skittles. Do you remember hearing that? I vaguely. Vaguely? Okay. I remember hearing that. Even when I was younger, I was like, that sounds fucking ridiculous. Who the hell would do that? Basically, this is the, the, the same idea as that, but we don't put them all in a bin like they're Skittles. We put them on a nice rotating table. So people can look through and choose which prescription medication they want to take at their party. I think that's a very kind of kind of nice thing to provide for customers because maybe some people want to party that way. I'm not saying kids never took prescription drugs to get high because they're stupid. I'm sure that happened. I just always found it absolutely ridiculous that they'd be like, yeah, we're just going to dump them all together and take a bunch. Like that's I, I still think that was overblown media nonsense, but that's neither here nor there. We have nice little labeled maybe like buffet style pills at our parties. What do you think <laughs> oh, god rob speaking of, this wasn't a snack but I, I just remembered it that i didn't mention earlier in the spinach scene the, we see the two parents at the table we see david and and the the real kid i think that's the scene where we also see that teddy has a chair at the table yes he does why the fuck does the teddy bear have a seat at the, at the dinner table why why wouldn't he rob <laughs> It's the weirdest thing that they're like, okay. I mean, because only David likes Teddy. I think the real kid's like, Teddy's old, who gives a shit about Teddy? And But they're just like, yeah, Teddy, you know, just just sit there. <laughs> just sit at the table with us. You don't get to eat food either. I thought that was strange. But all my snacks came from kind of like the beginning of the movie, and then our redacted snack was the aliens at the end. I didn't really have any snacks for the middle part. At least I was more intrigued in the movie and what it was presenting to think of restaurant stuff. Um, but did you have anything for the restaurant, Zach? Uh, not, not particularly. Like, obviously, we can do the low-hang thing of, like, spinach. It has, yes. to, be gar has to be garlic spinach. 
Sure, sure. It's garlic, spinach, and some combination of arsenic and other poison. <laughs> yes, but it has to be garlic in there. You gotta smell it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but no, not really. Like this wasn't really a snack-heavy film. Definitely, definitely. And um, you know, I think I was thinking of things, other things, but they all kind of boil down to we would have to add some type of robot slash mecha to our restaurant. I don't really want that. Like, I mean. The the thought definitely crossed my mind that we we would have to have like a a Gigolo Joe slash Gigolo Jane type of thing going on, but I don't know if we want other restaurant other other restaurants other robots in our restaurant, you know, especially the the sex robots. That's a little weird to me. <laughs> I like the idea of maybe like have we ever talked about the like threshold entrance to the restaurant? Like maybe we need some voluptuous lips or something very uh, <laughs> oh. graphic. I think we've only talked about it in the sense that you have to take a ferry to get to it. We don't know where the ferry really is. Uh, and also, somewhere at the threshold, it says uh, no liability. I know we've said that before as well. <laughs> well, of course it would say no liability. But yeah, that's a, like what shape would it be in? That's a good question. Um, Some voluptuous lips. That's gotta, that has to exist somewhere in the world, a restaurant where its entrance is an open mouth. That seems oh, yeah. like a I, I, I don't think open mouth is the one I'm concerned about. Okay. It's some, another type, another type of orifice is uh, uh, spread open. To get my drink. No, but that that could work. We have a shape of our shape of our entrances uh, could be some interesting things for sure. I like your I like what you're laying down. I'm picking up with what you're putting down with the voluptuous lips. Okay, okay. <laughs> Make it as kid friendly as possible. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, other th- yeah, I didn't have any other restaurant stuff. I think, um, you know, I-, I wanted to focus on. I'll have to lobby the flesh fair appropriately as I go forward in life. So you know, it's okay. Every once in a while, we can we can understand that you know uh, we don't need to. There's other things to work on in the restaurant. We have lives. We have other endeavors like killing robots in reality. <laughs> All right. Well, then, Zach, I think um, uh, other than that, uh, what? Oh God, uh, next week we continue on with the fort year. What a follow-up to an intriguing sci-fi futuristic concept of, of robots and artificial intelligence other than Louis C.K.'s Pootie Tang. That's ne- I'm pretty sure that's next Poo- week. I checked that. <laughs> yes. Pootie Tang. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of that manner of speech that Zach just did in next week's episode. No, I'm pretty sure. that's, that's not – It's oh, God. It's just the – oh, God, what? Like gibberish combined with pig Latin. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, next week's episode might be incomprehensible. <laughs> I think we should do the entire episode Pooty Tang speak. Pooty Dong Gong done it again! That would be uh, a, an interesting challenge for us, I think is the best way to say it right now. <laughs> Pooty Tang. But yes, I think it's the perfect sister film to AI. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, that's... that was a film that was not in the highest grossing 27 films of uh, 2001. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? But yeah, that's I think next... it's lucky if it made twenty-seven dollars. Oh God, yeah, that's a that's a really good point. That's probably somewhere very close to Monkey Bone, I would guess. <laughs> I would imagine it's closer to Monkey Bone than it is AI in yeah. the uh, box office. Yeah, realm. definitely. But that'll be good. That'll be an interesting one to talk about. Um, uh, it's it's more Fort Year. That's what we're getting. Just like I was talking about how this movie is, you know, basically we're getting whiplash because our car is getting T-boned. That's what we're doing at this point in the Fort Year with our audience. <laughs> You got it. Taking such left turns. But that'll be good. I guess also, you know, uh, uh, tell us what you think about robots. Try and explain to us if you want to tell me why I should care about that scene in Ex Machina we described. Cinemize at gmail.com. Join in on the Patreon to to, to hear that bonus content. Cinemize Plus, as we said uh, back in our Pearl Harbor episode. 
And then I think, uh, like I mentioned earlier, how we're going to end this episode, I really want to play that ending credits music from AI, uh, Where Dreams Are Born. I want to play that in reverse. It's like soft choral music. I don't think we've had anything that soft or gentle or relaxing as our ending music before. I feel like we always, if we do have something gentle or soft, we pair it with something else. I think this is going to be an interesting change of pace, just like this movie was an interesting change of pace for our thoughts on, or my thoughts on robots, I guess. <laughs> Zach's still like, yep, I'm going to I'm gonna be a slave to them, so I'll have a good spot in the Matrix. 